And good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, depending upon where you are on this rotating globe. Welcome to another, can I say sparkling? Yeah, I think tonight's going to be sparkling because we're going to be talking about glass and prismatics and hyperdimensional physics. Another sparkling edition of The Other Side of Midnight. I mean, it's becoming kind of uh, tiresome, but uh, remember when the really woo-woo, the weird stuff was confined to uh, this time of night? You know, all of you Art Bell fans out there. Well, it has escaped. It is now, even in the mainstream, 24-7. I mean, come on, the DNI, the uh, Director of National Intelligence, who coordinates 16 intelligence agencies of the U.S. government and reports directly to the president and is supposed to streamline communication and bureaucracies and problems with interconnectivity and bureaus and all that. Um, She herself, the other day, uh, last week on the 10th at the National Cathedral, uh, her name is Avril Haynes, and she has been in intelligence work for all her professional life. She basically came out and said, extraterrestrials are real. I mean, that is such a far cry from the position of the intelligence community or communities all over the world, who, of course, have been talking to each other about this stuff for decades. Um, That is such a far cry from, for instance, the CIA creating the Richardson panel, which basically was a whitewash and was convened to basically tell everybody Nothing to see here. Move along, move along. It's all just in your imaginations. Well, it's not. And in a couple of minutes, I'm going to talk about something that I think is front and center on the runway in terms of it's very, very, very real. And it is intruding in an increasingly major way into our nursery. Uh, For those of you who are new to the show, what you want to do is you want to go to the other side of midnight com that's our uh, url and once you're there you want to click on the either the section on the left that says tonight show or it's better to just click on the banner which says the magical hyperdimensional disc and what it does with guest michael lee hill listed below that's a copy of one of these discs oh wait till you hear about the discs this is this is so cool anyway the, for the next few minutes So you click on that, that takes you to the guest page, Michael's page. And right under Michael's page, you will see uh, fast links to items. Click on my name. That takes you down to a section of Radio with Pictures where I post items of news and interest and relevance to the show, things that I am bringing to the uh, big green felt table here in the land of enchantment. Item number one, as you know, we've been leaving for many weeks now with our first news item being La Palma. When you tune in to tomorrow night's show, you're going to find a whole new take on why our focus, nay, our obsession with La Palma, uh, seems to be increasingly justified. That is a kind of a hot link. You click on that, that gives you the latest updates. You want to put that on your phone. You want it to you know, give you an alert if there are major seismic events, because worst case scenario, if La Palma were to slide, or at least half of it into the Atlantic Ocean, 
the resulting tsunami could be very bad, as Sagan once said, for beagles and begonias, to say nothing of people. Um, that is a low, low probability event, unless it's not. And we live in this very strange, surreal, twilight zone, uh, other side of midnight reality now, where weird things are happening 24-7. Uh, and tomorrow night, I'm going to kind of go through a list of weird things. We've got Rick Levine and we've got Georgia Lambert. And we're going to have an extraordinary three hours trying to figure out what's coming. Something is coming. The something is as close as I can, you know, bound it with the science that I try to bring to this. The something is hyperdimensional. The something is out of out of time and space and dimensions, and I'm kind of sounding like Sterling myself, I guess, and we think we even have a date. So we will explain all of that in chapter and, and verse, and uh, you will want to be here. You know, it's one of those, you know, be here or be square. Uh, you want to be here because it's going to make sense of things in the mainstream news that unless you're following all the dots, you may not connect. Um, I'm hearing people, anchors of networks, who say, I have, I have no idea what's going on. I've never seen anything like this before. Uh, this is totally unprecedented. Uh, uh, I can't figure out why this is occurring. In other words, humility comes before insight. And unlike my conversation with Ted Koppel some years ago, and I bring up his name because uh, Keith was able to arrange for a face-to-face -face meeting many, many years ago, and he sat there. Remember, Keith, he sat there in the meeting and he said, after I'd laid out Sidonia and all the reasons why the data says it was real, he looked at me earnestly in only the way that Ted Coppa could look at you, and he said, but Dick, if this was real, I would know about it, which, of course, is the ultimate act of hubris, and that's how they keep control. The control of the mainstream media is not somebody dictating a memo saying you cannot talk about this it's much more psychological and subtle and nuanced you simply make certain things so crazy so out of the box so embarrassing that you would not go on the air and talk about it because all your colleagues would jump on you and you get nasty messages on twitter these days etc 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 so the cattle shoots are much more subtle and because they're subtle, they're not immutable. They're not solid. They're not, you know, forever. And there are little breakthroughs, like anchors saying, I don't understand what's going on. And that's a window to sending tweets and emails and other documentation to point people who have very responsible and very meaningful positions in major media in other directions because their control is not someone saying you cannot do this. It's someone saying, do you really want to do that? You really want to risk your reputation? Do you really want to, in other words, it's all about ego and preservation of credibility and prestige. Again, back to Koppel. If this was real, Dick, I would know about it. Okay, moving on. Item number two. This is an example of exactly what I've just been talking about. 
on Monday of uh, this week, we're still in this week, you know, it seems like, you know, like a month goes by every week, but we're still in this week. Monday, a Russian satellite, a decades-old satellite, an old-weather satellite, was destroyed. Um, the wisdom says, starting with the U.S. State Department, that the Russians destroyed it themselves as part of an anti-satellite test. And frankly, I don't believe a word of it. And I'm not going to take a lot of time tonight to explain why I don't think the Russians shot down their own satellite, not in a million years. I think something else did it. And the Russians and all of these combined intelligence agencies of all these so-called separate nations have all agreed to maintain the illusion that we are not, you know, we are, we are basically alone. We're, we don't have visitors. We don't have anybody else poking around. Uh, tomorrow night, I'm going to have uh, one of our uh, military contributors uh, who was a member of the uh, uh, Coast Guard and the Marine Fleet. And he's going to, uh, his name is Robert Morningstar. He hasn't been on for quite a while. He's going to give us the backstory and the Russians ostensibly shooting down their own spacecraft and creating in the process an extraordinary set of problems. And if you don't think there is a set of problems that accompany this, look at item number three. The NASA chief, Bill Nelson, who is a was a long, long, long-term senator from Florida, actually flew in the shuttle, became a uh, shuttle astronaut uh, many decades ago, a couple decades ago, and now has been appointed the uh, NASA administrator by President Biden. Well, Bill Nelson has come out in several venues saying, in essence, what the DNI said, uh, which is, you know, they're here, that we're not alone, and it's not Iran, and it's not China, and it's not Russia doing these bizarre things over uh, battle fleets, aircraft battle fleets, like the Nimitz and the Roosevelt, but it's someone else. Well, Read carefully and watch carefully Bill Nelson as he condemns the Russians for their ostensible anti-satellite test. Um, there are things moving in the dark, and that's what we're going to talk about in great length tomorrow night, how we can figure out what's coming before it's here and what we can do to prepare. And there are some very interesting sources for information as to what's coming so that is all tomorrow night, and tonight is a prelude. Let me tell you how it's a prelude, okay? Because if you're going to buy the model that we're going to put out tomorrow night, you have to buy the idea that there is a hidden, secretive, all-encompassing, all I can say the word, Tuckling, yes, all-encompassing physics, which has really been running the world forever, and we, the great unwashed, the public, the mainstream academics, the physicists who work at MIT or Harvard or Caltech or whatever, they're not in on it except for a very selected few. So we have a two-tier system. We have a fake physics uh, in the textbooks and being taught in school and being parroted by anchors on television because they don't know any better. And then we have the real stuff. And the real stuff that we're going to really be delving into 
in terms of what does it mean for us now? What is coming that is hyperdimensionally figurable out? Is that a phrase? Well, I guess it is now. By applying this physics. Because tonight, we're going to talk about a technology and a set of experiments and a set of experiences and information from, should I say, higher sources, which all tend to converge on this idea that we're living and have been for a very long time under a two-tier system. Why? Because that's how they, you can fill in the blank who the they are, have been maintaining control. My guest tonight is Michael Lee Hill. Uh, he is an award-winning musician, a filmographer, and, and this is going to become extremely relevant tonight, a UFO experiencer who has incorporated cosmic harmonic frequencies into his music that have been gained from his communication with, and I love this phrase, those not from here. <laughs> that's, that's very good, Michael, very good. Michael speaks on the indigenous connection with star beings and the wisdom gained in these communications. He discusses time, numbers, and the physics of creation. His actual scientific GBD photography, uh, and he'll ask him to explain what GBD means momentarily, has captured the amount of photonic light within a droplet of water. Imagine, th this is energized water which has been exposed to this technology we're going to talk about tonight. Imagine what drinking this water, this, this uh, shall we say, uh, energized water, can do to the human body at the cellular level based on the experiments that Michael's going to talk about. He has footage of the Lake Erie UFOs, which have been going on uh, for some time, um, which created a kind of a Billy Meyer-like buzz uh, two, two or three years ago. Michael seems to have developed a kind of an intuitive relationship, a resonance with the appearance of these craft. He's going to talk about that. Michael lives in Ohio. I used to live in Indiana. I used to wave at Ohio. Michael has been cataloging video after video of UFOs over Lake Erie for a very long time. The phenomena consists almost entirely of pulsating orbs of light. Unusual light seen changing colors, converging and separating over the lake. Uh, there's a lot more there on his uh, Other Side of Midnight biography, which you can find again by clicking on, I think you can click on that. Does that work? No, it doesn't work. You have to scroll down to Michael's uh, bio at the very top of the guest page. So without further ado, Michael Lee Hill, come on down. You're back on the Other Side of Midnight. <laughs> I like that. Uh, I've been beamed down. Uh, thank you for having me, Richard. It's um, such an honor. And um, I'm so excited. You know, I feel I'm just like to myself, I'm a rock and roll guitar player. And um, it's such a, an honor to me to be able to talk with you about some of the things that are unfolding because uh, you're you and there's not too many other people I could even talk to about this. So I'm very appreciative of you having me on and being <laughs> able to talk. Well, as Connie Chung said, remember that great line when she said to her guest who was I forget who she was interviewing. She said, hey, you can tell me, just you and me, not, of course, withstanding millions of people who were watching. <laughs> so, Michael, you can talk to me, you know, we won't 
think about all the people, 190 some countries that tune in every weekend to hear the show. I want to go back because we have a very interesting turnover of listeners. And I know that because mm-hmm. we follow the numbers. You were on the show a year, two years ago, something like that. And I'm sure that there's a lot of people that do not know why Michael Lee Hill is on the other side of midnight tonight. So let's start out with what age were you when you looked around and said, what's wrong with this picture? Mm. Very early on, I, um, I would have these experiences where I would ask my mom, why is Santa Claus's elf coming to visit me? And it's not Christmas. And um, that was in my childhood. And when I got into my 20s, I kind of went, I became a manager for a company that made dollar bill acceptors. And I kind of went headfirst into 3D land, you know, and some of those experiences started to uh, dissipate. And it wasn't until due to a tragedy in my life, I really called out to the universe that if there's anyone out there or in here, you need to speak up. And what I was given was an unquenchable thirst for knowledge. And I started to read a lot of books. I was led instantly to uh, your material, Richard, and especially on the moon and 19.5 and the things encoded there. (laughs) And it's like when I needed some answers to things that were unfolding, I was led to you. And that was very, that was early 90s. Um, But this all escalated until, you know, when I asked for answers, what I was given was actually the Seth material. And it's all about thoughts creating reality. Okay, for those people who are much, much, much too young to mm-hmm. even know who Seth is, give us a thumbnail sketch. Who is Seth and why did uh, those channelings kind of take the country for quite a while? Um, it was in the late 60s, I do believe, and there was this lady who taught a college class. Her name was Jane Roberts. And she was getting communication from this other dimensional being And it ended up where all these people that were scientists and later in the day, quantum physicists, that started to understand these concepts that Seth was bringing forth was absolutely accurate. And that it's how consciousness is tied to reality. And truly the whole idea is belief, which is thoughts, feelings, emotions create your physical experience. And it's mirroring really what you expect. You know, uh, what you focus upon will determine what you experience, and there is no other main rule. So these ideas of starting to take control of your own mental energy. And, um, you know, I read all these books, and I got to the point where I'm like, I think I understand it, but that's not like, uh, what would you call it? Actually using it, implementing it in your life. That That was a whole other step. But I started to, to work on these things, and instantly I was kind of put in contact with something higher. And I like wait, to wait, say, wait, 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 wait. what do you mean you were put in contact? It contacted me, and it happened through synchronicity and strange coincidences. And I like to say, you know, like when you start to pay attention to weird coincidences, and they start to grow, hmm. and they grow to the point that all doubt is removed, that something is in communication with you. You know, that that leads to a whole other. Well, what is it? Well, hang on, hang on. We we have three hours. So you said the Mm -hmm. synchronicities and coincidences start at the beginning. What was the first one? Why did it get your attention? And how did it wind up changing you? Well, 
I, uh, I started reading a lot of books on psychology and actually... Uh, this, was, this was after you'd read the Seth material. Uh, during the same time, actually. Ah, uh-huh. um, like I said, like, I, instead of them giving me answers, they gave me a thirst for knowledge. And I just started being led to beds of information, and Seth was one of them. Oh, so instead but, of giving you knowledge, they gave you questions. Yes. The, the right yeah. questions. Yeah. It's all about the right questions. You know? And um, so what happened was I, uh, at that point, the idea that there's an infinite amount of probable realities and we tune into them through our own belief system, that was totally foreign to me. And it was not easy for me to shatter that old paradigm that there's only one reality out there, this rock bed reality, and there's a reality and we are just observers to start to understand we're interacting with it is a whole nother step in like mentalness. And it wasn't easy for me, but um, right. So when, are we kind of talking like what alternative timelines? Yes. That actually gets into like, we can talk about what you're talking about, what's coming. And cause down the rabbit hole, uh, I was actually contacted and brought into the fold of the NSA remote viewers and uh, reverse engineering team and I did a lot of work with them from 2008 to 2012. Okay, I try to be a little metonymic on the show linear because people follow stories more easily right, that way. Right. So let's not jump ahead. Let's take that yeah. sequence. So we're back. Your day job yeah. is boring. It's just just to keep you alive. It's mm-hmm. it's a dollar bill acceptors and vending machines, and your nightlife is Seth and psychology and trying to figure out. What the hell is really going on? Yes. And uh, what I started to learn through some psychology books is it almost seemed like if you could just believe in something so much, you could tap into some other force and healing would come out of it and everything. I, I felt at that time, that's very unfair because I just can't believe in something just to believe in it so I could tap into some power. And uh, then it occurred to me that well, what if we all we just have this power innately to form reality? And um, the idea, I actually wrote it down, that thoughts create reality. Well, right after that is when I, I seen the first Seth message. And, uh, you know, it just came across randomly. And his whole synopsis was thoughts create reality. Now, up until that point, I considered myself pretty scientific. And if it wouldn't for me actually writing those words down, perhaps we create our own reality. Mm-hmm. I would have never even given that any credence. Okay. Um, let, me, let, I, me, let me stop you there. Cause we, we kind of hit the first speed bump, the first Hoagland speed bump. Mm-hmm. I have been very, 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 very skeptical of channeling. And I'll tell you why not the idea. There isn't somebody at the other end of the phone. Do I want to listen to this person who does not have a body who's telling me these are the secrets of the universe. I mean, if somebody stopped me on Fifth Avenue and they said, hey, buddy, I got the secrets of the universe. I'll give them to you for free. Would I stop or would I keep on walking? I would keep on walking. So why is it Hang on, hang on. Why is it different in terms of a hyperdimensional realm when someone comes to you in whatever form and says, I got the secrets of the universe. How do you wind up believing them? Well, up until that point, I would have been right with you, and I would have just thought, well, this is a human mind malfunctioning. 
But it was because the message was exactly what I came to through my own consciousness, and that is thoughts, you know, belief creates reality. So when I seen You mean message, in terms of your other reading? Yeah, yeah. Just because of the psychology uh, book that I was reading, it made me come to this conclusion on my own without Seth. So when I seen Seth's words and it was my own words, I it made me go, well, maybe I should not be so uh, dismissive and look into what this information has to say. And it ended up changing my life. I, You know, what really did it is starting to understand these concept, concept, concepts and implementing them in my life. And for instance, if you change some belief you have, let's usually it's a negative thought form, and then you see your reality change for real, that's a, that's a truth that comes from within. No books, no religions needed. No one can take it away from you. And once you see that if you go and become aware, think about what you're thinking about, and if something is fear-based, see if there's another option, and you start to see your reality change, you start to go, well, what else is available, you know? And um, this was what started this whole path to actually meeting this intelligence um, that, but I, I think that answered your question of why I gave it credence. Um, but uh, what happened is about 2005, you know, I'm a musician, and we were having a band practice at my house, and I live very close so to wait, here. So wait, you said you mean from growing up, you did, you know, the band stuff in the basement and all that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Music has been my love, you know, my first love period, you know, since I've been a child. And um, so during a band practice, me and the bass player went into the my backyard, which, like I said, if I threw a stone twice, it would hit the lake. Hmm. About, how and, old, uh, about how old were you? This would have been 2005. So I'm 53 now. I don't know. I have to do the math. <laughs> but um, it was like 2005 time period. And um, me and him seen a craft right on the shore of Lake Erie. And it was big. Like if you held your fingers up to the horizon, it would have been about a two-inch, you know, span up there. And was it, it was, was as, as big as the full moon, for instance? Um, yeah, yeah. But this was close. There's only, you know, about I think it was 12 houses from the lake. So I mean, it was 12 houses away from me, us. And it was it looked like a huge light phenomena but it had really distinct edges and it had what looked like a ball up on top of this. It kind of, the only way I could describe it is maybe some kind of hat, you know, it had a bottom level, a platform. You mean like a boulder? A, I don't know what that is. Well, a boulder has a rim and has a rounded top as opposed mm -hmm. to a Stetson which has a peak top. Well, imagine if you just held up your cell phone and you're looking at it and on top of your cell phone, you had a ping pong ball, but the whole thing is made of light. That's kind of what it looked oh, like. Oh, so so it was like a, like a square with a, with a with a ball on top that was glowing. Yes, yes, oh. exactly. And um, it was very close, and it would it's kind of on its side, and it would skip almost to the left, and then it would go back to the right. And we sat there and watched it for five minutes, so it seemed like eternity, you know. 
Mm-hmm. But um, I didn't get that one on film, but it really sparked Oh, I was going to say, where was the camera? Uh. Right, yeah. This was before I even started filming them. This is what made me start filming them, because I was like, well, I don't know what that was. Now, when you say filming, start. you don't mean a 16-millimeter film camera. You mean digital. You mean smartphone, that kind of thing. No, this is... 2005, there was no, I was using a Sony Handycam that recorded on a digital eight camera. And each one of these um, tapes would hold in the highest resolution that it would film. It was one hour per tape. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, we're at the bottom of the hour. Great tease. My guest this morning is Michael Lee Hill. He is a uh, rock musician of some note. He has been delving into other beings from other dimensions, starting way back when he started reading the infamous, the classic Seth material by Ms. Roberts. And uh, no, he didn't answer my question. Not exactly. So we'll get back to why would you believe someone even if they don't have a body? And that would kind of permeate our conversation because I like to try to back up unusual, bizarre experiences of which I've had a few with good old Science. God, what an interesting concept. Science. Testing. Empirical data. Wow, what a concept. We'll get back to Michael momentarily. You're on the other side of midnight here from the Land of Enchantment for this Saturday evening, November 20th, 2021. Lots of twos there. We shall return. that this organized crime system has been able to monopolize the media and has been able to uh, control the government and control perception on a wide scale is because it's the banks at the core And they've been given the privilege of creating money out of thin air using a technique called fractional reserve banking. Where the central banks backstop the money center banks to create money out of thin air. So when you go to get a loan, whether it's a mortgage or a car loan, that's not deposit money that they're loaning you. Uh, they just credit your account with some dollar credits, and you're off to the races. And then you spend the rest of your life paying interest on a mortgage that somebody created out of thin air. 
And that's the reason why the bank is the largest building in every city on the planet because they're making outrageous profits by getting to loan money at interest that they created out of thin air. This is Etienne de la Boissy Squared, the author of Government's Biggest Scam in History, Exposed. And some of my favorite conversations are the ones that I have on the other side of the news. With Timothy, Anetta, and Kintia. Thank you for doing what you do and providing the service that you provide. Welcome back, everyone, to the other side of midnight. For this Saturday, November 20th, Thanksgiving is five days away, rushing at us like a freight train. Um, My guest this morning is Michael Lee Hill, who, among other things, is a really interesting uh, rock musician. I have, uh, through my family, my brothers and sisters, many years ago have had a more than passing association with the world of rock and roll, rock and roll music, performing, being on stage, crowds, colleges, rallies, you know, the whole the whole nine yards. Anyway, Michael, you were in the middle of a of a saga. Please continue. Yeah, you know, thank you first of all because I think it's important to show the progression of, you know, reading the Seth material and then starting to take control of my own mental energy. And I'd started to learn how to meditate as well. And during meditation, I started to come in contact with something else. Like, you know, if it's coming from your own mind, you know, and it's not, it was, and there's this voice guiding me saying, if thoughts create reality, then if you have the, faith of mustard seed, as they say, step out of your old life. Like I said, I was a manager for this company for 15 years, making dollar bill acceptors. And uh, I started to look at like in the future, well, if I stay here, I'm going to be 60 years old, making X amount of money, hmm. probably a lot of money, but it felt hollow. Boring. Like, I would rather, Boring. Yeah, right? Oh, I'd rather play guitar in a smoky bar and barely keep a roof over my head than that reality. So uh, this voice, you know, was saying, if you have the faith to step out. Wait, 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 wait. What, what voice? What voice? This is during meditation. Okay. And um, making contact with something you call telepathic. 
communication and um it started telling me some very specific things and i listened and because i think if something higher is communicating with you and you really believe it and you don't listen probably not very smart so it said if you step out of your old life you'll meet the people you need to meet and the doors will open effortlessly but if it feels like you're hitting your head against the wall you're not in the flow of what you're here to do and it, that was hard for me i had a house i had a you know, um, but that's when the tragedy happened as well. And my aunt was murdered while staying with my parents. Um, she was getting a divorce and her new husband found out he's going to have to pay her 50% of everything. That's what caused me to hit a wall. And uh, so I put myself on the layoff list and the CEO called me and said, you know, I decide who gets laid off and you're not on the list. We need you. I had helped them get a U.S. Postal Contract Service. And um, so you can imagine every post office in the United States had one of our dollar bill acceptors in their stamp machine. It was a multi-million dollar, I think it was about $30 million uh, deal. And I was in charge of quality control and looking into the you know software for these dollar bill exchanger, uh, changers. And um, so he said, uh, you're not getting laid off. I'm thinking, well, this this creating your own reality thing isn't working real well, you know. Mm. So, um, well, let me stop you there because it's like in your creating your reality, if your aunt is murdered, it, to me, it's the first question is who the hell ordered this? Mm. How well, did how all... did that factor in? Did you fantasize about your aunt being murdered? No, of course not. No. So, how no. do you factor no. that the incredible shattering entropic intrusion? of objective reality into this model, we create our own reality. Um, at that point, I didn't even have that, but I think we each create our own reality in per, like in a personal level and in mass. And um, there's a lot of, we, we choose through self-inflicted thought forms of, uh, you know, a lot of harmful things. And not only that, you don't really under, not you, the proverbial you, but, you know, we don't understand. There's other things at play too, like karma and things working out. And like, for instance, her being murdered actually brought her children together that hadn't spoken in a long time. And it healed some of the rifts of the family. And, um, but uh, so what had happened was I put myself on the layoff list. They wouldn't lay me off. So I didn't know what to do. I just didn't, I'd get up like I was going to work and I didn't, I would just go drive to the park and sit there. And, you know, and after a week I'm like, well, I'm going to have to do something. So I went in and uh, went right to the CEO and said, listen, I can't explain this, but I need like, I need to make a change in my life. And he said, well, listen, if you'll stay to the end of the layoff time, I'm going to give you a nice severance package and you can go on your way. So thank you. Perfect. So about four months would went by. And let me tell you, after like 15 years of that was my life, I knew I knew what I'd be doing in a year from now. Uh, all of a sudden, my future was wide open, you know, and it felt really wonderful. Like anything's possible. I could totally follow my face or heaven on earth could start happening. And four months went by, no magical doors open. I met no one. And, of course, that, that voice of doubt starts coming in going, oh, you've really screwed up, you know. And um, at this point, I had the most lucid vision dream. And in it was a musician. His name is Steve Vai. He played for Frank Zappa. 
Um, and then after that, when David Lee Roth quit Van Halen, he got Steve Vai to play guitar for him. And he was a huge inspiration for me. And um, in this vision, which was super uh, lucid and real, I was led down this corridor by a guide and it emptied out into this club. And Steve Vai was doing a sound check. And I was so excited, like, oh, my God, that's Steve Vai. He's one of my heroes, you know? And I remember him doing a song called There's the Train That's Leaving, and he was, like, levitating off the floor. And he floated over to where I was, and all of a sudden this big crescendo of music was like, welcome aboard. But when he said welcome aboard, it was like this voice from a movie. It almost slapped me out of my uh, state that I was in, this lucid dream state. Well, I woke up and I thought, that is the weirdest thing I've ever experienced. But I had this nagging feeling that there was some synchronicity waiting for me at stevevi.com. And um, so I thought, wouldn't it be weird if he's really working on a song called There's a Train That's Leaving or something like that? Mm. I go and I log in to vi.com. And the first thing I see was enter the Steve I. Ibanez guitar challenge. And the fur went up on the back of my neck. I, I knew I was going to win that contest. I hadn't even recorded a note, you know. It wasn't about that. It was about I just met him in a dream and he said, welcome aboard. So uh, sure enough, I entered the contest. It was That's the award-winning musician part of this. And um, sure enough, he ended up picking me as the winner of that contest. How many, how many entered? Thousands. Wow. Um, yeah, and he gave me one of his own personal guitars, and they flew me to one of his concerts. I got to hang out this show and in his dressing room. And and what year was, was this? This was two thousand and one. Oh wow! And um, he uh, he said, "So I'm supposed to give you a guitar lesson." And uh, I was like, "Yeah, that yeah, that's part of it." But I got to tell you, I'm totally self-taught. I'm so musically illiterate; it would frighten you. <laughs> And so I'm thinking, you know, for this guy to teach me anything that played for Frank Zappa, you know, I, it would take a month of Sundays for me to even learn the simplest thing he could teach me. But I'm like, I have no way of going in and going, you know what, I don't want a guitar lesson. <laughs> How can you even say that without sounding like a, you know, but um, I, I just let it go. And when I go to meet him, they take me to his dressing room. He's like, so I'm supposed to give you a guitar lesson? I was like, uh, yeah. He goes, well, I hate to tell you, I don't think I can teach you anything. <laughs> that uh, you know, you either emote through your instrument or you don't, and you emote like you have your personality comes through. You know, what he did was take one of his own songs, and he stripped all the guitar parts off of it down to just drums and bass, mm-hmm. and then you had to re-record the track yourself. But they weren't looking for a copycat performance. He said, make it your own. And the one that was the most creative would win this contest, get to meet him, get the mentoring session, and get one of his private guitars. And um, uh, that all came What a, what a cool contest. Yeah, it was really cool. And I'll tell you what, you know, I had a recording studio. That was one of my hobbies of just having a home studio and writing and recording my own music. So like I said, I was such a fan of this guy. It was just, you know, I got to tell you, for about a week, I would go and try. Now, mind you, this is late 1990s. I had a modem dial up, and I hit, <laughs> you know, to stream it, and it's like the whole thing was chopping and stopping. And I'm like, how am I supposed to record over this, you know? So in my mind, I'm like, oh, that's a sign, you know? Forget about it. You don't need to do this. And uh, after about a week, you know, this voice, I'm trying to go to sleep, and it's like, um, persistent I was little guy, isn't he? 
Yeah, they, that's exactly because what happened was uh, I called out to the universe, screw the contest. I just want to record over that track. What's wrong with that? Why can't I do that? Because I, that sounds fun to me. And this voice is like, well, go do it. I'm like, how about screw you? I've been trying for a week and I'm trying to go to sleep. It's one o'clock <laughs> in the morning. And, uh, and the voice said, well, you've wanted nothing then. And I've learned at this point to listen. So I got up and I, I thought, well, you got to do something different than you've been doing for the previous week. And for the first time, I really didn't even have a computer that much. I didn't at that time in my life, I didn't know about a right mouse click that brings up another menu mm-hmm. that says download file, you know. So the first thing that happened is I sat down. I'm like, I got to do something different. I, I right mouse click for the first time. And I've seen that download the MP3 file. And I was so excited. It took at that time with that technology about 45 minutes for it to download, you know, but when it got done, I was so excited that I fired up my amp. I put a microphone in front of it and I recorded all the guitar tracks that night. I finished up about five o'clock in the morning and uh, I listened back to it. I'm like, well, that's my submission. You know, I, that's pretty cool, you know? And uh, five o'clock that morning, I sent in my submission and I won the contest with it. So if I would have been so stubborn and not gotten out of bed when it said, well, go record it, you know? Well, okay, um, okay. I have another dumb question. mm -hmm. Why didn't the voice say, "Mm, why don't you try, Michael, a right mouse click? They're never that. Why? Because I I guess point the finger and they want you to figure it out yourself. Yeah, but you didn't figure it out. You used a random trial and error process just flailing around. It wasn't. Some kind of perception. It wasn't some kind of let's yeah, try. You it know, was, no, it was just well trial and well. error. <laughs> all's well that ends well. You know, who's to say where inspiration even comes from? That at the end of all this, at least, you know, I think sometimes spirit sees, sees how uh, serious See, uh, you are. Let me, <laughs> let me, let me, let me tell you kind of why I'm, where I'm looking at this coming from. Um, mm-hmm. I lived for 20 years with someone who I adored. Her name was Robin. And two and a half years ago, she died. And she's been communicating, not through any appearance, trends, you know, holographic, you know, kind of holodeck stuff or voices, whatever. She's communicating through little creatures. She's controlling mice to arrange geometry and other messages on the floors all over the house, including to take them from being terrified because they run at warp nine. And this afternoon I'm sitting, you know, getting ready for the show and I feel a little tug on my right shoulder. And one of these totally wild creatures, they, they are endangered species here. They're called kangaroo mice is literally crawling up for the second time on my right shoulder. So I have to interpret all of this through symbology and her strange sense of humor, and, but it, 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 it's, it's not linear. It's not metonymic. No. It's, and, of course, because I'm a fallible human being, I can be reading the wrong stuff into you know, these events. The geometry is pretty straightforward, mm-hmm. uh, but everything else is totally uh, personal and qualitative and uh, ter- you know, it's kind of interpretive. It's like you know, trying to bring our life together to why would she, if it's her, and again, that's a huge question, 
Why would she be doing this now? That kind of thing. Like I'll give you an example. I've got a a little bowl on the kitchen uh, counter with some pens and a couple of little uh, nightlight bulbs because I wanted to remind myself to order more nightlight bulbs because they they burned out. And the mice have taken to hiding and reappearing the light bulbs. Now, in normal parlance, a light bulb is a bright idea, right? So is this a symbolic set of message chains where they are hiding and replacing the light bulbs as I'm thinking about things? Because there's no way to narrow it down. In an average day, you've got a million different things to think about. And if you're doing something like I'm trying to do, which is to run a research project, do individual research, do the show, think about interesting guests that are going to be kind of in resonance with what's going on in the larger world. Um, How do I track down which idea is worthy of a light bulb (laughs) and which Mm -hmm. is worthy of, you know, they're hiding it because that's not a good idea. In other words, it's so interpretive, it's almost useless. The only thing I can say is I either have the most genius level mice in the Western hemisphere (laughs) or Someone is communicating through them, calming their fears to where they literally get up on my ankles and in my lap and on my shoulder, and it's not constant. It varies with the cycles of the hyperdimensional physics model, like the bandwidth is open some days and is totally closed the next. During the eclipse the other night, the mice went nuts. I mean, they're doing things that are totally out of character because these are little wild creatures who think of me as this, you know, 20 foot tall green giant without the jolly normally. But something is overriding their fear and making them approach to within literally to sit on my shoulder. But it's not words. It's not her. It's not anything one would recognize unless you do a persimmonous kind of analysis and says, well, who else would care enough to do this? Yeah, and I think this is a perfect example of what I said, is when you start to pay attention to these synchronicities. Yeah, but I've been paying attention all my life. You didn't have to die for me to pay attention to this stuff. It was part and parcel of our life from the get-go and long before. Understood, but... What I would say is whatever this intelligence is can communicate through anything or anyone. And the more you pay attention, uh, the more it grows. But and, it's not, in my experience, because I'm trying to do empirical research here, it's not mm-hmm. constant. There are, no, days, never is. there are days when the <laughs> communication is clearer. Well, that implies a physics. That implies yeah, a I set of it, physical modalities that are modulated by the same stuff I'm going to be talking to Rick Levine tomorrow night about. Yeah, I'm learning a lot about moon phases and how it affects the Earth's uh, ley lines. And like you said, um, eclipses. And uh, I think that there is times, you know, Chief Golden Light Eagle will get into this, but he announced at the Serpent Mound, he said, Michael here is going to be the one who reveals to the world the frequency of Serpent Mound. 
And uh, I didn't know what he was talking about, but it ended up it's 4:32. But he said, <laughs> on equinoxes and solstices, there's the most. Oh, okay, let's running. not let's not get out of time because I'm trying to keep this thing linear. Right on. Thank you. I I, I do jump around. Yeah, holes, okay, so let's so. go back to your incredible lesson in real time with the guy you've idolized. What yeah, happened to that relationship? What what did that springboard for you? Uh, we're still friends, and it ended up then, you know, of. Joe Satriani is another famous guitar player, and um, he ended up offering me a endorsement deal for his line of amplifiers. Then I met Dan Reed, who is was one of my hugest heroes, and he opened 60 shows for the Rolling Stones. He opened for David Bowie, Bon Jovi, and he's just one uh, legendary show promoter. Bill Graham took him under his wing and managed him until he passed away. Um, so I met Dan and like I said, we just uh, collaborated on a song together. We're like best friends now, which is just weird to me. It's it's weirder to me of meeting Steve Vai, Joe Satriani and Dan Reed than it is meeting the Anunnaki, to be honest with you. It, it would seem more improbable <laughs> that that would be happening. But it's only until I, I, you know, if I sat at my old job, none of this would have happened. And um, this is just the beginning of this. This is 20 some years ago, you know, and it's been quite an unfolding from there. But this is when it gets into, uh, you know, actually why I'm on the show, I guess, is starting to film these orbs of light out over the lake. And I would go down and I started just finding, once I seen that one craft we're talking about, like I said, I had the Sony Handycam. I didn't use it for anything, but um, one thing I, I can tell you is I learned from David Sarita, who, uh, you know, he did the case for NASA UFOs, and he showed how some of these objects are only visible in infrared and gamma. And to our naked eye, they're invisible, but it's actually a more energetic state than even what our eyes can see. So I found out that this Sony Handycam had the super night shot mode, where you could flip it in with the switch that was on the side of it. And now all of a sudden, it took me a year, by the way, to figure out this thing had a filming at nighttime mode, which made all the difference. Um, but I started to film these things and I really got tired of filming it because imagine they're the most beautiful hyperdimensional colors and you're looking at it through a black and white viewfinder. So I just wanted to be able to, for that color to hit my retina, you know, and, um, so I started to even talk to them out loud saying, listen, if you don't do something, come in closer, do something different. I'm not filming you anymore. I want to sit here and we'll have a nice night. And um, sure enough, they kept coming closer and closer. And, you know, Bill Burns said, I, you know, because I learned how to use my camera, like turn the autofocus off. Because if one of these orbs is flying by you over the lake and it leaves your frame of, you know, filming, and it has to autofocus, you're done. You, it, so I figured out to take the autofocus off, put it in this night shot, and then while I'm filming it, I could put it in a super night shot, and then all of a sudden you'd see the whole layout of the lake, and you'd see that these things are about 30 or 40 feet above the lake. And I started to accumulate. Now, is anybody else in your neighborhood seeing the same stuff? No. There's, you know what really was weird at that Did time? Did you call anybody and say, hey, Joe, you know, at 10 o'clock tomorrow night, something really weird is going to happen. You should take a look. Uh, yeah, well, I started to take people down there. 
and they've seen it. And then some of my footage started going viral, and then the local news started to contact me. And um, but uh, what had happened was because of my footage going viral. Um, right now, if you go to my YouTube page, well, Michael Lee Hill on YouTube, you'll see I have over five million views right now. Oh, cool! And most of it is the footage, and that's what drew the History Channel to my door. And they said, we're doing a show on Skywatchers, and we would like to include you. You'll have about five minutes on the show. And I said, sure. Yeah, your, web, your websites are listed uh, in your bio at the top of the guest page. Hmm. Cool. So you can see the footage. You know, I actually put all this footage together because after all this, I ended up being in 2011, I was contacted by Bigelow Aerospace. Um, well, they made, it's called Bigelow, Advanced, Bigelow Aerospace Advanced Space Studies. And this was from the funding from the Pentagon. And um, I got all the, the correspondence between me and their investigator. His name's Gary Hernandez. And uh, he said, we want you to know that we know you're in contact with the real thing because we've been studying it over the Skinwalker Ranch. And we don't know why you're having such a good experience with it where we're not having much luck. And I told him, I said, well, quit going after it with the arrow, you know. Um, but anyhow, uh, so the History Channel. No, wait a minute. You just said something that to most people is incomprehensible. Quit going after them or it with what? The arrow. What arrow? Got to use the olive branch, man. It's on the back of the dollar oh, bill. Oh, so you're talking right. metaphorical. The Pentagon is thinking of there as antagonists and, yes. and, 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 and you don't. Okay, well, all right. Yeah. Um, How you approach a conscious entity. Yeah, if, you, if it's with the arrow. Um, I've heard if you approach it with fear in your heart, fear is what you'll experience first. We'll just mirror it right back to you. Um, but uh, so what had happened was two weeks prior to coming to interview me for the UFO Hunters show. And roughly what they, year was this? This is 2008. Uh, so two two things happened. They came at the end of 2007. Found out, you know, they didn't tell me this, but they had interviewed another contactee. His name was Terrell Copeland. And he was a Marine, and he was stationed in Washington. And uh, they found out he had an unknown blood anomaly, and um, none of the best military doctors could figure it out. So now, thought, is, how, is this the Bigelow group that's doing this research? No, this, this at this point, this is the History Channel. Ah, um, okay. You know, uh, so they thought, wouldn't it be weird if these? Because what they found is this guy in. Washington, this Marine, had filmed the same orbs of light I had filmed, had the same story of contact, and actually the same spiritual thoughts create reality kind of bit of information given to him. Mm-hmm. But he had this blood anomaly. So the History Channel thought, wouldn't it be weird if these two guys that do not know each other, they're 500 miles apart, if they both ended up with this unknown blood anomaly? So they're pretty smart, because if they would have told me they were flying me to Boston, they have my blood work done by a Harvard professor. His name was David Sistrom. I would have said no because I'm the biggest baby and I don't like needles. I'm oh, like, it's like a phobia of mine. I don't, oh, and I didn't no. know they were flying me. Top the hour. Okay. Uh, we'll finish that. A little bit more warning, Keith. Thank you. I'm kind of lost in, in you know, 
uh, Michael's amazing story here. Okay, let's do this and this. My guest this morning is Michael Lee Hill, and he's just gotten to the really interesting part where officialdom, including a major network, is interested in his contact experiences. And his contact experiences are not via the arrow, metaphorically speaking, but via, you know, my grandmother, more flies with honey than with vinegar. Anyway, you're on the other side of midnight. We shall return to Michael momentarily. Don't touch that dial. other side of midnight.com talk radio with pictures on demand liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought join club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment for your endeavors. $0.08 cents an episode, 2.5 cents per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com. crickets in the background Saturday night here in the land of enchantment November 20th 2021 we're talking with Michael about contact you know one of my questions is you started seeing these things over the lake in what 2005 is that right Uh, yes okay and the phenomenon evolved did you get to the point where you could basically say turn left turn right go up go down and stand still so I can get a really good shot? It wasn't, yes, but it wasn't like that. It was one night the the activity was just off the charts, and I had my, I brought two tapes. I'm thinking of those scenes from Close Encounters now. Yeah, you know, uh, that was actually based from the Lake Erie, you know, the ones that the police were chasing, Mm -hmm. those actually came off Lake Erie and went into Pennsylvania. But anyhow, oh, you mean the cops that raced at 100 and some miles an hour across the state trying to find yes. out what the hell was going on? Yeah, you'll find those came from Lake Erie. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, there's a reason that we can get into Lake Erie. Um, well, what are we waiting for? Why Lake Erie? What's under well, Lake Erie? Let me, because uh, I want to finish with the History Channel, and then okay. we'll get all right. into all that. Um 
they had found that this Troll Copeland had this blood anomaly. And um, so they flew me and him to Boston to have Harvard professor David Sistrom do our blood work and medical workup. And sure enough... Um, and wait, wait, what, what, what was Dr. Sistrom's claim to fame? Why would they pick he's him? He's a Harvard professor. of He's one of the leading people of, like, testing blood. And, you know, so he's whole... doing DNA analysis and lineages and, um, you know, uh, social groups and all that. Yes. Okay. Yes. And um, so the end of the shoot, you know, for – what they did was ask me if I'd be willing to go and do an update. And what happened was instead of five minutes in the show, it ended up being the whole show. <laughs> I mean, Terrell. And it's called – the episode is called Alien Contact. And what was really strange with this, too, is Bill Burns, which you know Bill. Um, yeah, but the audience might, so tell them who Bill is. Bill Burns owned UFO magazine, and he's been on Ancient Aliens a million times, and he was the host of uh, UFO Hunters, but he's also a New York Times bestselling author. He wrote The Day After Roswell with um, uh, Corso, uh, Philip Corso. Mm -hmm. Philip Corso, yes. And uh, by the way, I got to ask Bill, there's some stuff that – Corso didn't want included in that, and I got wind of it, and I asked him, and I know what it was, which is pretty fascinating. Let's stay linear if we can until we <laughs> right on, right on. All right, so, so you're uh, so so you basically are flown to Boston to Harvard with this guy from Oregon, which is more than 500 miles away from you, by the way, it's closer to a thousand. And you guys have your blood, you know, drawn. What did they do when you freaked out at the sight of the needle? <laughs> Uh, nothing. I acted like a big boy. Oh, just, good for you. Yeah, I, they're filming it. You know, it's in the show, and I had to act like it didn't hurt. Uh, you know? That was horrifying. Well, as a performer, you know the show must go on. Okay, so yeah, full yeah. camera um, crew, draws the blood, uh, Dr. – what's his name? Cicero? Sistrum. Sistrum. Yeah. Like, like the old-fashioned Egyptian musical instrument, the Sistrum. Um, yeah. he, he does his analysis – a, what was the analysis, and B, what did he find? It was an increase of an enzyme that our brains release called creatine kinase. And the normal amount is 25 parts per liter of blood everyone's brains release. That's a lot. And, uh, but if you've had muscle damage or a heart attack, it can go up to about 250 to 300 parts per liter of blood because creatine kinase brings oxygen into the bloodstream to facilitate healing. And it will, and what I learned too is the more oxygen in the bloodstream equates to how much electrical prana, like at a cellular level you can hold. But uh, so what they found was normal human bloodline has 25 parts per liter of blood. And if it, if you've had bodily damage, your brain can increase those levels to 300 tops Mm -hmm. to bring oxygen to the part that needs healing. Well, in both of mine and Terrell's blood was almost identical levels of 2100. Oh my God. Yeah. And, um, that's that's phenomenal. Um, yeah. So what that does, it makes your brain work better. Mm, Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Well, in other words, somehow, somehow, it has tuned your receiver 
so you can pick up these messages. Yes, yes, that's exactly, you know, it's why Bigelow contacted me. It's why the oh, NSA after this. Okay, next, next obvious question. Can mm-hmm. a general population, how many people have had this happen to them? And do they happen to be people who are contactees? Very good question. That's where they're going. Um, Bill wanted to do a show and start looking into other uh, contactees that have this blood anomaly. Um, I can tell you when I was brought into the remote viewers, they told me that there was about 200 people in this division and 12 of them had my bloodline. And they said my levels of 2100 would have put me about in the middle of those uh, 12 individuals. And oh, my. They told me the, the one that had the most creatine kinase was at 12,000. And um, they said he could pretty much get hit by a particle beam weapon and instantly heal and get back up and dust himself off. I'm not at that level. I run pretty hot, I can tell you. Mm. Um, And I do. I don't get sick. Okay, the next obvious question is, were you born this way or did someone give you a tune-up? Well, that's a great question because, uh, you know, I asked this professor, I said, well, wait a minute. This isn't a TV show anymore to me, you know, like. It's my life, yes. Yeah, is there something I should be worried about? And he said, what do you think unknown means? He's actually kind of mean about it. I was like, oh, I don't know. It's typical and, um, academic, said, you know, typical. He college. said, if I had to venture a guess that there's some type of virus at play that is unknown to mankind that's tricking the body into releasing massive amounts of this creatine kinase. By the way, all this, I could tell you once I met the Anunnaki, they told me exactly what's going on with why this is. And they told me, because after all this, I ended up meeting them, and they said, we want to talk to you about this blood anomaly. Wait, this is another group of folks not from here. I love – Michael, I'm going to steal that phrase. I love it. Right on. That's not actually from here. The, that's remote viewer sex. You know, that's what they call them. Um, yeah, those that are not from here. So you know, I, my model is that we're not dealing with aliens. But at some level we are, but we're basically dealing with family. And the difference is the family – that we're dealing with is not from here. And that encompasses a range of cousins and relatives. And you all know what happens in families here on earth. So that has caused huge problems because it's not aliens. It's not, you know, little eight tentacle guys from data reticuli. It's family. So was this again done to you or uh, is it part of your galactic lineage in the family that certain parts of the family by by simple genetics have this because they're predisposed to communication among other things uh this gets into a very bizarre story because when we have time when, i love right bizarre on. stories um go for after it all of this happened is when i was invited to a uh, a festival in new york and it's called serious rising and there I was approached. Now there by hangs a tale. Sirius, the dog star. Mm-hmm. 8.7. Syrians are the Anunnaki. I didn't even know that at the time. But you know, I was I approached I was going many, many decades ago. Sorry to interrupt. I was approached oh, by a Syrian. Okay. I was giving mm-hmm. a, a public uh, presentation. And a, a gal, a very beautiful gal, came up to me and started talking to me about Sirius and the folks there. And their interest in my work. And, of course, I thought she was totally stark raving mad. 
just an, as, as, as an aside, the, the Syrians, I'm suspicious of Syrians, not because I don't believe that they now exist, but because I'm suspicious of agendas, mm-hmm. be that as it may. Okay, so the Syrians slash Anunnaki told you that? Um, that they said we were known in your past as the Anunnaki. This is 2008. There was no ancient aliens. I didn't know what an Anunnaki even was. They said in your past. And you hadn't tripped over Sitchin yet. No, no. Um, so they said uh, in your past, we were known as the Anunnaki, and you were known as Ia Inki, the water bearer. Well, I got to tell you, that made no sense to me whatsoever. Like, now the water bearer part really does, and actually they they told me what Ian and Inky mean now, and I, I get it. But uh, at that time, I was like, what the hell is a water bearer? You know, it's like someone coming up to you and going, you know, you're the Easter bunny. So they were telling you that you, as Michael Lee Hill, living now in the 21st century on planet Earth, in a previous incarnation, was the character known in Sumerian literature as Anki the water bearer, right? Yes, yes exactly. Wow. wow. And not only that, it's only as Ptah in Egypt. It was uh, Maitreya to the Tibetan monks. And then when we intertwined into the Native American Indians, I was See, known again, as if someone speaker. came up to me on the street and told me this, I'd go, oh, come on, really? Why, mm-hmm. Michael, would you believe someone who would say this I, to you? I didn't. It wasn't until they proved it in my own reality. Like, let's take water bearer. So, well, well, no, no, no. Let, let's just call it the weird story. Does the weird story mm-hmm. involve the proof? Uh, yeah. I mean, the first communication was we were known as the Anunnaki. And this is the real world. This ain't channeling this. I met them. and I'm talking to them. And uh, they also said that. Wait a minute. You met, the, you met them in 3D like at Denny's? The Serious Rising Oh, okay, okay, this conference. Yeah. Okay, okay, so they're yeah. actually mingling in the crowd. Yes. They are among yeah. us, as has been discussed for many, many years. I have another friend who actually meets some of these folks. You know, he thinks they're kind of tourists because they're kind of clunky. They're not, they don't quite fit in, mm-hmm. but they're 3D. They're as solid as you and I are tonight. Oh, yeah. I, they, I, well, I got to tell you, you know, I was brought into this gazebo type structure and they call it the I dream of genie bottle because <laughs> when you got in it it looked like you were in that I dream of genie bottle it was like an octagon and had all this beautiful fabric and it had oh, a, wow. like a chandelier hanging in the middle of it and a round bed and when I was brought into this this was at the conference in New York yeah it wasn't a conference it was a festival like outdoor you know okay uh, uh, so I, I have a very loose definition of conferences. You know. Right on, right so. on. Yeah, conference works. You know. <laughs> um, so when I went in, um, first of all, you got to know at this time I had partnered with David Sarita because some weird things happened with my UFO footage of Lake Erie, and when I was contacted by CBS News, mm-hmm. right before that I was attacked, and they, when I woke, my face had been shattered. Um, broken twice on my jaw on the left side. Wait, 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 wait. Back up, back up. You were physically attacked by someone. Mm-hmm. Ear in 3D. Yeah. In the midst of up, all this media attention to your contact experiences. 
Yeah. I don't know if they want to shut someone up, you know. Um, well, why, I, didn't, why didn't they just kill you? Uh, they almost did. They said it, it's a miracle it didn't break my neck because it said the doctor said it looked like someone hit me with brass knuckles. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, when and I got in home, what I, in, 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 I'm sorry to be so linear. In what time frame again? This would have been about 1996. Mm, okay. Um, and uh, so I almost canceled the interview. You know, I had the phone in my hand, and um, this was a CBS. I, CBS, yeah, Cleveland News, and um, something came over me. I'm like, it, this wasn't coincidence. I knew it. I'm like, you know, screw you, people. I'll mumble through it. You know, sons of bitches. You know, and um, so. I did, and what happened, this is on my YouTube site, by the way, because I had a VHS going at that time. When they tried to show my footage that night, something took out the whole TV station, <laughs> like an ATP. Um, So then I was really frightened. I'm like, here I am watching this TV show with my face recently wired back together, Good. and I see the TV station get taken out by an EMP pulse. The next day, I was really frightened for my life. I'm like, man, what have I got myself So let, let me go back to why they just, just didn't kill you. Mm-hmm. It would seem to me it was to have you alive as an object lesson for other people. Don't do what Michael did. Yeah. You know, that's, you know what? It had the exact same effect, the opposite effect, though, because what happened. On you, you mean? Um, on the world, because instead oh. of putting my tail between my legs i sent all my footage to who i respected the most in the field and that was david sarita because i really liked his uh the case for nasa ufos you know david's going to be back on the show in probably a couple of weeks he's got some extraordinary interstellar communications experiments going and i'm dying to talk to him about that oh thomas said hello yeah we're we're really good friends i might just bring you on in the third hour just so we can kind of get a synergy of you know, it's not two plus two, it's more. Right on, right on. I will um, I, I will give to. you a heads up, you know, when, when we get him booked. Anyway, sorry to interrupt, but these are metonymic oh, it's things. It's all good. It's all good. Um, so I had partnered with David because what I didn't know is he was working on the UFOs unplugged with Dan Aykroyd. Mm-hmm. So when he seen my UFO footage, he flipped out, and there's four of my clips on that Dan Aykroyd documentary of my footage over Lake Erie. And uh, at this point, I had an investor that wanted to work on a film, and David and I decided to work on it together. And it blew out into a whole miniseries called um, From Here to Andromeda. <laughs> and you know who John Hutchinson is, obviously. Yeah, of course. Of course. He was in the, the documentary, and at the very end of our um, production schedule, he aligned us with a senior scientist from Lockheed Martin Skunk Works. His name was Boyd Bushman. And um, so Boyd Bushman has David come into his office and shows him working anti-gravity, like principles, showed him actual blueprints of the first craft that flew in the late 1950s from uh, the Roswell crash. Yeah, this is all in uh, my friend Paul LaViolette's book. Uh, anti-gravity, which which I've been recommending to people, because there's incredible documented you know memos and secret documents of black projects, and yeah, we know how to control gravity. So why are we still sending people up on rockets? Well, that's a good question. I, I think the elite are trying to save that. Well, I can tell you 
Well, don't, let's not, well, don't, 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 yeah, please we'll be, please that. be linear. Yes, yes. Right control, on. control your impulses. We got time. We got time. So okay. at this festival, I'm brought in to speak to these people in the genie bottle, and uh, they <laughs> I said, love that. We heard that you've been filming us over Lake Erie, and uh, they just said that right out. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, next um, question: What did they look like? They look faceless, Richard, and the that blah, was blah, strange. Blah. They look faceless. What? No faces. You mean when you when you look at them, you can't see their features? It's like blurred or it's... It almost looked like... Now, mind you, when I went in, the whole thing was lit by candle. And it looked like there was a shadow that was cracking their face. Like it, it Almost like there was a smoke that was covering their face and I couldn't see their faces. And I actually... The first words were, can I see your faces? And he said, no, you're going to have to wait till tomorrow to see our true faces. I thought that was odd. He didn't say, what are you talking about? You know, and I found out, by the way, this is very typical of meeting the Anunnaki and, you know. Slash Syrians. Yeah. And Palladians. Yes, they're all related. They're Mm -hmm. all in the family tree. Yep, Um, yep. And they're related to us. They're not yes. aliens, folks. That's my whole point. No, look, this look is a Bigelow. this is an incredibly dysfunctional family. Yes, it's yes. kind of like I've the Sopranos on steroids. Yeah, we'll get into that. I, I'm, there's much blood, brotherly love flowing between me and Inlow that we met in this world, and he actually I brought him to Ohio with the crystal skull. But anyhow, we'll get into that. Um, so the, the, this group says. The guy says, I work for a group who decides what gets released to the public. And uh, he was a family member of the J. Allen Hynek family. And he said this family had been in charge of what gets released to the public for a very long time. And this Boyd Bushman information was not on the list. So how could that even be? Because what he said was, do you know anything about a gentleman that was on Coast to Coast named David Sarita, and he was talking about the senior scientist from Lockheed Martin. I said, yeah, I know everything about it. That's the film that was my baby. It was like I brought it into fruition. And um, and he was really shocked by that. And um, he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. A Syrian extraterrestrial is shocked and does not know your background? No. That's Isn't weird. that interesting? No one knows who's here under the veil, man. Everyone, no one gets a free ride and everyone gets put through the machine. Um, yeah. That almost it, sounds like a quote. <laughs> hmm, yeah. Or so, okay, back, back to the veiling. Was the veiling mm-hmm. in your mind or was it a physical technology and why were they willing to show themselves to you the next day but not on your first meeting? Um, I've heard that they have enough chi or prana at a, you know, uh, what would you call it? Uh, your nervous system level. They're not shapeshifters, but they can send your sensory apparatus, whatever image they want you to see. And I guess there's some decree that they won't allow any human to see their true faces. And, but they're um, human sure, too. You mean, uh, you mean yeah. terrestrial humans? Um, yes. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah, we are the so, poor cousins. Boy, are we the poor cousins. 
Okay. Well, look at uh, Robert Bigelow saying, you know, yeah, we're, we've not been alone, and they've been right under our noses, he said, and something like that. And he said they've been here for thousands of years. So, yep, yep, yep. Um, longer. You know, are they aliens? Longer, they might have been here long before us. So who, you know? who built some of the stuff on Mars? I digress, yeah, which I should not do. definitely them. But, All right. So um, they're being – they don't know things you'd think they would know about you. That's weird. Yeah, they uh, everyone's under the veil here, and no one knows who's who. But then they said, you know, what do what you what need, do you mean by that? Everyone's under the veil. That when you incarnate, even if you're Anunnaki and you're coming here to help to represent mankind, um, before a very specific council, they call it the Council of Nine. You know, Gene Ronberry. I remember that. Uh, yes. Um, that uh, to represent mankind, you you can't come at any higher frequency than mankind. And, uh, you know, that entails... So you're subject to the same veiling physics that our 3D reality imposes on every consciousness here. Yes, exactly. Now, Um, are you aware that that was not always the case? We found something stunning on Mars that indicates that we've been put in some kind of a a bubble, a space-time bubble, kind of like the Phantom Zone in the Superman movies. Uh, yeah, actually, they, I've been totally educated on it, and it's called Accelerated Intelligence Program to make us, you know, long ago, we were put into an experiment that would make us experience our own mental energy in an accelerated fashion, unbiasedly. Whatever you put out, you get back magnified because on the Pleiadian side, they could look into the future and 99 out of 100 outcomes, it didn't end well because we weren't evolving. Uh, we were evolving technologically faster than we were spiritually, and we would just end up aiming our nuclear weapons at each other, which is kind of like when you look out the window right now. Mm-hmm. But um, so they they implemented a experiment to put us into a reflected holographic reality where we would experience our own mental energy in an accelerated fashion. And theoretically, that would make us burn through our shadow because they understood, you know, thought forms have an electromagnetic reality and energy. And energy can't be created or destroyed. It needs to be transmuted into its higher octave frequency. And so how do you transmute a negative thought form? Well, you, you live it, you know, that's, and this program would, you know, if you put out darkness, you would experience your own folly of your negative way of looking at things up close and personal, truly in hopes you'd change it. But um, that's what's going on. But it ended. They told me that this whole experiment to accelerate human consciousness ended with the very second we entered the age of Aquarius. And um, that was 2016, by the way. As you know, all 432-based math, which their timekeeping and their calendars mm-hmm. was based off of, it all resolves to nine. 2012 does not resolve to nine. It resolves to five. It couldn't have been. The no, end. no. 2012 was a misnomer. 2012 was really 2016. As It my, was 2016. Yeah. My research was. <laughs> and look what happened in 2016. Not by accident. Anyway, um, we're coming to the uh, bottom of the hour, so give us a good tease for the next uh, half hour. Well, it got to, you know, them using a technology where they read my, like, I could feel it stimulating my third eye. This is in the first meeting 
in the in the genie bottle yes. lit by candlelight, where you can't yeah. see their faces. Yeah, I did get a look though. That'd be a good tease. Is when I left that structure, he was right behind me, and it ended up being Marduk, by the way. And um, I, uh, I said, "Well, screwed. I'm gonna I'm gonna look." And I turned around, and he was wearing a robe made out of light, and he was not physical. He looked more translucent, like fine flame. But we'll leave it at that. How about that? Hmm. Very, very interesting, as Charlie Chan used to say. My guest this morning is Michael Hill. We're having one heck of a ride, and it only is going to get better. What is 3D reality here anyway? And why, if all these guys are related to us, why do they treat us like we're some poor step-cousin in the backwoods of West Virginia? Um, To be answered, hopefully, in the next uh, couple of hours. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and from the Land of Enchantment, we shall return. Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone. On the uh, last half hour of Saturday night, will be Sunday morning, in another 30-plus minutes, my guest this morning is Michael Lee Hill. And we're having a really mm, far-out conversation 
<laughs> about relatives who appear. Relatives from Sirius. Boy, does Sirius play a huge role in the history of the human species and the uniqueness of this solar system. All of which uh, I and my fellows and colleagues and boys and girls are trying to figure out in a kind of metonymic way. And Michael has an advantage. Michael kind of just talks to them. Now, see, the question, Michael, I've got is, how do you know they're telling you the truth? I, you know, I, I don't take anything. You know, I'll sit and wait for more information to come. And things that confirm, then, you know, I'll, I'll pay more attention. Um, but, uh, you know, I do want to say whatever this intelligence is, you know, um, when I was contacted by Bigelow, and I learned a lot from the investigator, he said, these, this phenomenon, mind you, this is who the Pentagon funded $22 million to, to look into this. And by the way, what hasn't been announced is, you know, Bass being created by Bigelow. They were more interested in looking for people that was in contact with this intelligence than looking into the UFO phenomenon. He said they know that these orbs of light that are showing up have little to do with our concept of craft being made of metal and nuts and bolts. Mm. He said they have more to do with portals and time travel. And uh, I was guiding... In other words, hyperdimensional physics. Indeed, because what they said was, you know, over the Skinwalker Ranch, they would see these balls of light and they would come down and they would take on biological life form, whether it was a giant wolf or giant deer. That's why they're called skinwalkers, because the Native American First Nations in that area would see these orbs of light come down and they would turn into animals. Or well, they're like shapeshifters. They can mold 3D reality. So. Anything. Yeah. But, but to that's, what that's, end? What's the objective? What's... See, let's get back to this, to something huge is coming. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's going to be huge. It's going to be extraterrestrial. It's going to intrude in a way in the nursery that can no longer be denied, and yeah. people are not ready. They are not ready. Remember I told you about the flash drive from Sitchin and those tablets? Yes. The tablets say during a full eclipse where day turns to night, and uh, not only would the sun and the moon, the eclipse be in the sky, but Venus, the morning star, would be visible as well, that these orbs of light, these chariots of fire of the Elohim would be visible from one end of heaven in the sky to the other end of heaven. And, you know, it's 2024, Richard. It's uh, when we have the full totality eclipse, there's going to be things in the sky. They're going to, you know, I've been saying our government revealing this crap is not in the plan. They'll reveal themselves when they're ready. And it's already written in 6,000 year old tablets. It'll be the 2024 uh, full totality eclipse. There'll be things in the sky. All eyes are going to be in the sky, all video cameras, and it's not going to be debatable. And um, man, this is going to sound weird, but you know, the whole world is going to go, well, let's talk. They're going to say, cool. Uh, here's our ambassador. <laughs> you know, it's me. Hmm. Um, and uh, I, you know, they told me years ago, they said, Michael, you've done what you came to do. You chose love relentlessly, regardless of the outside appearance of things. But you still got a lot of time left on this planet. You know, what do you want to do? And it didn't take me long. I want to play music. That's when I feel the most in contact with creator or source. And 
you know, it's when I'm in the most joy is when I'm performing, creating music. And I said, I want to play music. And they said, that's perfect. We're not looking for an evangelist. And we're not looking for a politician. You being a musician is perfect. Go out and play your music and let your freak flag fly. That was their exact words to me. <laughs> okay. So I, uh, I'm cool with it. I'm like, you know, I don't have to have, I'm not, man, I'm so not for like guruship or being put into a position like that. I'm okay with, I'll talk with anyone if you want to talk to me. And it all reveals too. They said, this all is gearing towards mankind becoming a galactic society and joining them in a, having those kind of resources. Wait, wait, right? joining them or rejoining? This will be the first time for humanity, you know. Um, it's been, you know, this will be the first for humankind to go through this process and becoming galactic. But they said it's not going to happen through Biden or Putin or Trump. It's going to happen through the Native American Indian First Nation voice. This is their children, the Nephilim, who has suffered more at the hands of the evil cabal or whatever than anyone. Some people put the number as high as 100 million you know, people in the genocide of our people. Um, but, uh, and you find out that the Native American Indians have the knowledge that we need right now. Even the world's on fire, right? Well, tribes knew how to control burn and they didn't have wildfires like we're experiencing burning the whole planet. So in Canada right now, they're having to bring back the tribes and having the Indian elders teach them how to do proper control burns. Well, that's so positive. Yeah. Wow. And not only that, they have the Native American Indians as, by the way. You well, wait, 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 wait. You, you, you realize that we have a Native American who used to represent uh, New Mexico here, the Lanham and Shaman, and she's now uh, the uh, Secretary of the Interior. So why isn't she implementing these procedures in the West out here? Well, I hate to say no one is, you know, look at what is communicated like Carl Monk. By the way, I did, you know, I told you I wasn't familiar, but I listened to you last time and I went down that rabbit hole and started to watch some of that. And, you know, this intelligence that became the mound builders, um, has incorporated these hyperdimensional physics that's all 432 based through all of these structures. They have the keys to multidimensional travel, but what you need to know is for them through the Native American el elders, they, they know and uh, have recognized me as the Seneca chief known as the peacemaker who united the Iroquois. And I know this sounds crazy, but what I can tell you is I was brought into the fold of the Star Knowledge family and as the Mound Builder representative on this planet already. And at the Star Knowledge Conference, after I got done actually showing for the first time, you know, the effect on water and whatnot, which we're going to get into, uh, I was approached by this production team. They said, we're filming a show for Canada and we really like what you said. Would you like to be part of it? And um, I didn't know at that time, uh, I became friends with a producer and he asked me, what do you think we should name this movement? Because I don't think you understand really how big it is, which we'll get into in Canada. And I said, well, you met us at a Star Knowledge Conference. You know, I'd name it Star Knowledge. So sure enough, it's called the Star Knowledge Symposium. 
And what it is, is they're teaching star knowledge through the University of Ottawa in cool. Canada. And um, they're on equinoxes and solstices. They're having like big powwows where you can actually go and meet the elders and learn about their contact with star beings for thousands of years and what they've learned. But simultaneously, a show was just filmed at that for uh, the Canadian Public Corporation. And that was just aired last month, and uh, it's called Star Beans. And so this is being released in Canada right now of the knowledge of the Native American First Nations. Because you got to know, when this is a few years ago when the Anunnaki told me it has to come through the voice of the Native American Indians. The land's got to be returned to these people that was stolen from them. They know how to use these mound sites to work with energy. They have the knowledge to live in harmony with Mother Nature. and uh, Well, you're familiar so, uh, with Prophecy Rock on Second Mesa in Arizona, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yes. Because um, it basically depicts two futures, one catastrophe and one when we get back in resonance with, with the planet and we save ourselves? Yes. Um, it really comes down to during the last processional cycle, you know, let me put it this way. If if you were going to implement this experiment in accelerating human conscious evolution by making us experience our own mental energy, wouldn't you want some way of like a council to look into what outcome, like what's the outcome of your experiment? And that's what's known as the Council of Nine. But you'll find out that in the Council of Nine, there's two unseen members. So that's seven. So the Council of Seven, which like the Emerald Tablets of Toth, they talk about the seven lords of light and the seven lords of darkness. And um, by the way, at the Sundance, I was brought to um, after the veil dropped because I wouldn't, I wouldn't go along with their blood sacrifice portions of the Sundance. And that's when the Sundance chief said, Michael, we're so glad you didn't enter that dark territory because uh, so it was a spirit, test. Yes, they're looking for those that won't go along with it and follow the crowd up the crooked steps. And he said that spirit looks at anyone who um, uh, participates in these blood sacrifice ceremonies as prostitute. That was his own words. But mm. what he said was, "I work with the seven lords." Well, it's of the light. dark side of the force. Yes. Yes. Um, okay, we we don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to interrupt some more. Uh, right let's kind of get back on the thread. So you meet with the Syrians at this festival in New York. Mm -hmm. uh, what year again? That would have been 2008. Okay. And then what happens? Um, pretty much simultaneously, you know, after that meeting, I was contacted by the NSA who was already working <laughs> with the Anunnaki for technology transfer programs. Um, you know, uh, so I was brought into the fold of that. And I was told what's interesting is, I think I shared this, it's on the wall of, you know, for the, your website, um, that the head of this program was named A.R. Borden. And he said, you know, in this classroom you're being brought into, you're going to learn, he said, you have music in you, but not just to write songs, that to create matter, you need music. 
or more specifically, very specific frequencies, and not only a specific frequency, but specific frequencies and specific combinations. And uh, instead, that more than likely you'll learn to use the true Pythagorean scale, which is A equals 432. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, uh, and not 440. Not 440. 440, it's the worst frequency we could have possibly chosen. But what's interesting with this is um, uh, that he said the Pythagorean scale in, in A equals 432 is what actual creation comes from. And it's interesting because as you, you know, I've seen your, uh, the note of even the planets, the sun being 8,640 miles across, mm-hmm. that's the higher octave of The whole solar system was redesigned to match these frequencies. Period. Yeah, isn't, I can't wait to actually get into this with you because I want to listen because you're the first person that told me, um, I remember your words like to the T. You said, Michael, I know your story sounds really crazy to a lot of people, but NASA has been looking into how energy you said you and NASA have been looking into how energy works multidimensionally mm-hmm. and hyperdimensional physics. And you said, you know, your numbers are right on the money. And that's when that was said, how I got together with Carl Monk. It was back in the primitive days when people would actually send something called a letter. <laughs> and I'm living in, um, in Virginia, just down the road from West Virginia, uh, which is why I can say terrible things about them. And I get this letter one day, and I, I used to get a lot of fan mail because of the book. You know, Monuments of Mars, you know, publisher would send me the letters, and there'd be lots of letters. And I opened this one letter, and I'm reading it, and it was like, oh, my God, this guy knows the numbers. So mm-hmm. I had to go track him down. And so that's what, yeah, Carl Monk is, has looked at the sacred sites all over the planet which are part of this same numbering system, encoding the physics in linear dimensions, in numbers of sides, in the height, in the number of steps in the pyramids, all these related codings, so we would not forget why these numbers are crucial. And of course we forgot. Yeah, they're patient, aren't they? Well, we had a little help. We had a little help, yes. Yeah, they're waiting. Well, thank God, you know, People like you. And so let's, 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 let's leap across because we don't have a lot of time. You're a mm-hmm. musician. This guy is with the NSA. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, NASA is never a straight answer. You know, NSA just kind of collapses that. They used to be the most secret, secret spook agency on the planet. Now, of course, yeah. they're, they're, you know, doing other stuff. So this guy says to you, you're a musician. Frequencies are important. You're going to learn about so was this your transition into music that has other levels of meaning? Yes, um, yes. But what had happened was he said you're going to learn about cosmic harmonious frequencies because you need this knowledge because it's how nature is actually created. Um, and But what I didn't expect, and it took me a long time, is I didn't expect crop circles to be part of the curriculum. Curriculum? I'm going to say it. Curriculum, um, yes. Yes. I didn't, I, you know, it took me a long time to realize. All the physics have been laid out in crop circles for decades. Yeah. Over yeah. and over and over again, an incredible splendiferous expansion and complexity and levels and 
It's all right there. Well, it was the actual crop circles that led me to actually creating the disc. And, you know, we can get into that. It's historic, really. That's the segue. So how did you go from – remember, they're real crop circles, and then there for a while there was a whole group that were doing fake crop circles, which, of course, is (laughs) disinformation. (laughs) To throw enough spaghetti on the wall that nobody can figure out the signal. Yes. Um, See, to me, the uh, elegant part of crop circles was this is very Canadian. It's very McLuhan-esque. Marshall McLuhan, remember his great line, the medium is the message. When I realized that the physics was being laid out in the crops in England, starting with, in fact, Keith went over and I had him, you know, kind of take some photographs and nose around and ask some questions because that was right when crop circles were suddenly in the 80s becoming a big, big deal. But to me, the elegance of crop circles was they're trying to give us, they, whoever they are, a hyperdimensional message in the medium that's most important to the hyperdimensional message, which is life, biology, consciousness yeah. in all its forms. The medium is the message. I'm so excited to, to talk about this with you because you know how the, the seven circles that make up the seed of life or the germ of yeah, life. Yeah, you know why it's seven, don't you? Because it's seven symmetry spins of a tetrahedron. Only ah, seven. That makes perfect Not six, perfect not eight, sense. only seven. And of course, a double tetrahedron is 14. And what's the missing piece of the reconstruction of Horus by Isis? She found all these pieces except for the 14th piece. She had to make that out of gold. In other words, our mythologies have encoded this physics in medical form, in parable form, in narrative form, in alliterative form. But, of course, the, the, the code key has been lost until relatively recently. Yes. You know what? So th- that first seed of life that encodes a six-petaled uh, six-petaled seed of life, which is the Merkaba, the double tetrahedron, mm-hmm. 19.5. That's what right? it is. Yep, yep, yep. Um, what they've shown me through these crop circles is a brand-new seed of life that is a seven-petaled version instead of six. And what's really interesting is, well, let me actually show you through the progression of this because it's all right here on your page. If your listeners would go and scroll down to where the crop circles start, which is uh, number nine. Number nine? Number nine. (laughs) You know why nine is important, don't you? It it goes back to something called the Schlafly Double Six, which is the 27 lines on the general cubic surface that defines our relationship of 3D to higher dimensions in mathematics. And nine times three is 27. So, Mind blowing. Um, It's all connected if you just have the code key. So if you recall, when they met me and they told me I was once known as Ia Inky, that didn't make any sense to me. So early 2009, I, uh, I said, well, listen, if you are who you say you are, and I am who you say I am, encode the name Ia Inky into a crop circle. I can oh. tell you I'm a student of the subject, and uh, I, will, I will take notice. And, uh, and then at first, though, I thought, what a silly request. 
I pictured a big crop circle with inky written in cursive, you know, like <laughs> a birthday cake. I'm like, what the hell is that going to prove? But um, then I got cocky. I'm like, well, you figured out, figure out a cool way to do it. And while you're at it, encode it with something only I would be able to decode. And uh, then I let cocky. It go. It's just normal empirical testing your source. Yeah, exactly. Prove yourself, you know. So number nine is a crop circle that showed up in Perono, Italy in 2011. Mind you, I asked them in 2009 for a crop circle encoding Ia Inky. And that two-year span is when I was guided to cymatics and started to Okay, define for folks cymatics. This is cool. So amazing. Yeah, cymatics is brand new science of making the invisible visible it makes frequency visible for the first time and people might have seen where you take a big round plate and they put sand on it and you take a bow and you know and like like a violin bow or a viola bow yes and yes. you and you, and and you stroke the side mm-hmm. and the plate vibrates and the sand mm-hmm. takes up these incredible geometric patterns which change with frequency Suddenly, Indeed. dramatically, bing, there's another pattern. Yeah, so the cool thing is this whole science has evolved to where they're using a big vat of water, and it's in a tripod, so no vibration can get in other than what you're putting into it. And it has a really high-tech camera that's on the top of it to record what the frequency is doing to the surface of the water. Now, who's doing these but, experiments? Uh, scientists. Actually, the leaders in this is called Cymoscope, and... Uh, Jonathan Stewart Reed is the scientist who invented the cymoscope. They're the ones that I actually hired to image my guitar note. But we'll get to that. that okay. That's in right. the disc. So this um, is a small startup company that's doing this as a profession. Yes. Who are yes. they selling it to? How do they make money? Um, uh, actually, they're, they've done whole things for MIT, and they're developing – Languages for even communicating with dolphins. They can take a dolphin vocalization, put it through a cymoscope, and then be able to communicate. Oh, my gosh. Continuing the work of Lily. Mm, I'm not familiar, but... He was a big dolphin researcher at uh, Stanford on on the West Coast back in the 70s. Interesting enough... Took a lot of ketamine. These scientists were freaked out because they told me, we've imaged everything using this technology we've imaged every frequency known to mankind we've re, you know baby noises dolphin noises but we've never seen the kind kind of complexity complexity and dimensionality from anything that's ever been sent to us like the audio files you sent us mm. they said but we've never imaged an electric rock guitar amp <laughs> they said he is hypothesizing it's the tubes in the tube amp it's making that Van Halen crunch, you know, ah. and what it's doing to the frequency. And there's some secrets to that, though. They still don't know that I've not really revealed. It's not just as simple as putting a microphone in front of your amp. I use a stereo setup for one thing. Anyhow, uh, so they asked me for my permission to reveal because, mind you, I got one still frame out of 20 seconds of me hitting my A note tuned to 432 going, bang, bang. nothing fancy, you know. And um, they, uh, they asked me for my permission to release the full 20 seconds of that image 
being created in real time as an experimental video. So I said, yeah, absolutely. So that's live on uh, Cymoscope as we speak. But uh, back to the crop circle. When I do we do we have a link to that? Would that be 14? Yeah, well, if you just go to cymoscope.com and look through the videos um, and frequency made visible, you'll see my that. But I, I have it on my YouTube site as well. Okay. Um, so I can get that to you for sure. Yeah, let's it's post really that. Yeah, let's post that. Seeing it directly there. in real time is really cool. But this crop circle shows up and number nine. And see how it's a seven-pointed star in the middle? Yes. And then at the end, there's all this like dot, dot, empty, dot, empty, empty, dot. And there's seven of those around each end of the seven-pointed star. Turns out that that's ASCII binary code. And when you decode it, just scientifically, it's, uh, it, it's EA space Inky. So oh, my gosh. Right? <laughs> and not only that, see at the bottom right-hand corner, there's a circle um, around the outer edge of, like, the lotus, I guess you'd call it. Right. Um, that's where you start decoding the ASCII binary code. It's actually encoding to know where to start. And so it's EA space an inky around it but you see what it looks like star constellation you mean wait wait you mean those little spokes that stick out between the petals yes okay so you start at the bottom right one and yeah. then you just go um, counterclockwise uh you know what i'd have to decode it and see which way to go um i actually think it's uh clockwise because okay. what they've communicated to me See what looks like star constellations? There's three of them next uh, to that uh, dot to start. I see them, yep. So go around clockwise. It's three, three, four, 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 five. That's a seven-digit number. If you just Google it right now, you'll find it's a gene in our human DNA called a universal stress protein. Oh, how cute. That encodes how our human bodies deal with viruses. And um, not only that, it's how our body. Yes. (laughs) And it it deals with how our bodies handle outside stressors. This is why it's called a universal stress protein, like increased solar activity. Um, It'll allow the body to be more well equipped to. uh, So, what they're telling me, Richard, is drinking 432 water. (laughs) That extra energy that's coming through, which we'll get into. Wait, wait um, they being the Syrians. Yes. See, I that, prefer uh, Syrians to Anunnaki because Syrians mm-hmm. makes it very much on point. You want to know, they don't call themselves any of that. They call their planet the Sahamai, and the people of the Sahamai are the Saam. And uh, the people that are known to them, the, the Saam translated to the Western culture is Sam, Uncle Sam. <laughs> and so when you're dealing with like the NSA and whatever, they call them the Sam. They didn't, or they it call could it. be mm, Samantha Carter on Stargate SG One. Mm, I like that. <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> Which of course but, um, embodies the feminine. Okay. I like that. I yeah. think they encoded a lot into that show. But what I want to oh, do? Oh, they sure did. Hang on, hang on. We're at the top of the hour. Midnight okay, cool. is about to erupt. So let's do this. Yeah, we're gonna get this going. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> So last half hour to go, or last hour to go. Gosh, I'm accelerating time. <laughs> My guest this morning is Michael Lee Hill, 
and we've just been kind of on the runway. We're about to achieve liftoffs, and we're about to talk about the compilation of physics into a technology that can literally transform human and other life. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back, everyone, to this uh, Saturday night, Sunday morning from the Land of Enchantment. You know, Michael, why I decided tonight to pick uh, Native American flute music from kind of behind me here in the far hills and mesas of uh, New Mexico. Love it. Because the Anasazi and uh, the other tribes that are related they have a very interesting character called Cocopelli. And Cocopelli is a flute player. And the flute player, of course, is the embodiment 
in music in frequencies of the physics. So, I hate this. On that note, <laughs> continue. You know, I asked Chief Colin Light Eagle where the Native American First Nations have their flutes tuned to, and he said most of them are 432. He said some tuned to 444, and he said that was the Arcturian frequency. But, yeah. Um, so uh, this crop circle, number nine, shows up, and it becomes very important to me, obviously, because they – they encoded Ia Inki into a crop circle. Mm. And, um, but I didn't know that they encoded it with something only I would be able to decode yet. But I had created one of my energy disks, which is quartz crystal glass with, you know, an image. Okay. Well, and, you've made a huge leap there because I know. <laughs> a, what, well, we can't do that. People will lose. Sorry. Well, they'll lose us. So we need to go from the crop circle diagrams to Kaladni diagrams to your music to the physical technology that manifests this physics in 3D. Well, what happened was... And we got an hour to do that. Cool. We can do this. We got this. (laughs) Good. Um, That uh, I created a disk of this inky crop circle, and uh, just because it became important to me... And how did you create a disk? What did you do? Physically, what Um, did you do? Did you say one morning... I guess I got to create something that embodies this this graph, or was it deeper? No, I learned this art form of these discs from uh, another contactee. His name was Greg Plasco. He's passed on now. And um, the idea was taking quartz crystal glass, and he said the most important thing was the, the sacred geometry that was inside the glass using, you know, flower of life, seed of life. Right. Metatron's cube, you know, so on and so forth. And then uh, the whole thing gets wrapped in copper and it keeps whatever subtle energy is forming. So I had been a student of making these for about a year prior to this. And, um, but because of them guiding me into cymatics, which is Mother Nature showing you actually what frequency is, I decided to track down every cymatic image of the musical scale but tuned properly. So if you go down three images, and you'll see an image that has an A next to it. Okay, this is is number 12? Yes. Okay. That is an actual cymatic image of a 27 hertz pulse being put through a cymoscope. Um, 27? Four octaves below 432. Remember the 27 lines on the general cubic surface. Mm. The mathematical link from Schlafly from 3D to higher dimensions. Indeed. There are no such things, and this is coincidence. Right? (laughs) Yes, that is the truth. And um, so what happened was, this is the last disc I made of the seven discs. And I'm sitting there looking at it going, why does this look so familiar to me? I couldn't get it. I sat there and stared at it, and nothing was coming. This is from your other other guy, your, your friend who was a contactee with the folks who are not from here. Uh, no, Greg Plasco was just someone that I met one of his students uh, at a conference. Yeah, but wasn't, she, wasn't, wasn't Greg, Greg a, a contactee? Yes. Oh, okay. He, That's what I meant. He called these Pleiadian 
energy disks, oh, healing okay. disks. And I learned that art form, but they, they were using computer-generated sacred geometry. I was being guided. Oh, and not real analog frequencies. Not analog frequencies and not. So I thought, well, why not take, I had tracked down the musical scale. You're looking at the A note tuned properly. And um, what happened was something was ringing like, knocking at my brain door and I wasn't picking it up. And finally this voice is like, well, just let it go. You'll figure it out. <laughs> well, the minute I oh, put the very down, helpful looked, voice that doesn't say, yeah, right. <laughs> um, maybe it just controlled my finger and right click oh. it, you idiot. <laughs> okay. In the center of this disc, which is a Caladney frozen uh, form of, of a 432, right? Yes, but that's four octaves up from this. See, the lower frequencies are going to create simpler geometry. So if you want nice straight lines. So this and, is, so I'm looking at 27 hertz, right? This is 27 hertz. Okay, now notice the seven in the center. The seven-pointed star? Yes. That's exactly what I... Uh, what occurred to me is I couldn't figure out why it looked familiar. And when I put it down and I looked over to my right, the Ia Inky crop circle was there and I seen the seven-pointed star. Ding, 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 the, ding, 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 ding. Yeah, then it was a revelation. I started crying. Like, oh, wow. I was like, oh, my God, they did encode it with something only I would be able to encode. <laughs> and that is the seven-pointed star's relationship to 432, right? Are these, guys, are these guys fans of Emily Dickinson? You know, her big buzzword that I say over and over and over on the show a million times, you know, she wrote this poem, which has a line in it, tell all the truth, but tell it slant. <laughs> That's good. Indians call it Hayoka. Okay. Everything's backwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Tell it so, so that the, the student has to reach for it. Yeah, they're not going to give it to you, you know. Uh, you're going to have to work for it well, a little bit. Well, it's the Omarin joke. The light bulb has to want to change. Mm. I'll tell you what happened with this. That brought revelation, and I started – And but what I found out then, the year in this exact same field that the Ia Inky crop circle showed up, that in the previous year, 2010, another crop circle showed up that you can tell it's the same artist. And it encoded an ASCII binary code, E equals MC squared. So instantly I'm like, well, what does E equals MC squared have to do with 432? And the answer became, well, if everything's both particle and wave, and the only E equals MC squared is the particle part of the equation. It's right there, M equals mass, right? Mm -hmm. So where's the wave component? You find 432 squared is within 1% accuracy of the speed of light. Meaning the only frequencies. Oh, but, 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 the speed of light is not constant. Yeah, it's only within 1% now as it's being measured. If you know, oh, who's the guy? He was the, uh, oh, I can't remember. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on his name. Huge guy, uh, hundreds monkey syndrome. Uh, oh, come on, help, help, somebody. Anyway, he published a paper which has been banned from all over the Internet where he listed all the experiments going back decades showing the speed of light is not constant. It's changing constantly, you know, pun intended. I think that, I think that could even explain, you know, in a vacuum. And it's uh, inversely it's, proportional from my work to the, the flow of the physics. 
you know, I, I, I kind of liken the hyperdimensional torsion field to a to surfing, and you, you can only surf when surf is up, when you got waves. Well, when you got hyperdimensional waves, the speed of light goes down. And when you don't have waves, the speed of, I'm sorry, the other way, it, it, it goes up. When you don't have waves or significant waves, the speed of light goes down. So it's not a constant at all. It's variable with the connection between us and higher dimensions via the field, the torsion field. So within 1%, come on, that's good enough for you to say for folk music. Yeah, I I agree. Because <laughs> what they're telling me is, you know, 432 times 432 is what we know of in as the speed of light within 1% accuracy. Whenever and, that um, measurement was published. Yes. I'm telling you, it's right on for when we're in resonance. Yes, I agree with you. I think that that's what we're striving for is to get that 1% out of the equation. You know what I'm saying? Well, it's going to happen naturally. It's just it's catching the wave. That's why I'm back to tomorrow night, what we're going to try to decode in terms of what's coming. Because what's coming is the wave. Mm, I've heard that. I, uh, matter of fact, uh, some of the work I did with the NSA was a galactic superwave that mm-hmm. was spit out from the middle of our galaxy. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's the Paul LaViolette's work. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, that was part of the work I did with them, by the way. Um, it's probably a whole other show to get into. Yes. But uh, because of E equals MC squared, that's what led me to, you know, 432 is – the only ones that would plug into that equation are 432-based physics and math and frequency because they're truly harmonics of light then, only frequencies that plug into light. Um, so When, uh, unintended, <clears throat> light is on the beam. When it's not within 1%, when it is exact. So then the question is, when in the physics cycles does that multiplication produce the exact speed of light in 3D in the solar system? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question because I also thought, when in nature, like, why would it be exactly 186,000, you know, miles per second? Well, it's not exactly. That, you know, there's, you know, it's all... Yeah, it wouldn't be, you know. No, I no. believe, truly, it would be 432 Although, squared. the measurements we use to measure various things like distance and velocity and all that, they're part of the hyperdimensional code. You know, a foot is not a random, you know, it's not the distance between King Henry VIII's, you know, elbow and his, his uh, wrist, that kind of thing. These yeah. are deep-coded hyperdimensional numbers. Feet, furlongs, miles, 5,280 feet. It's all part of the hyperdimensional system, and we have been disingenuously pushed aside to thinking there's anything but randomness when, in fact, it's the keys to the kingdom. Well, look what all this led to, you know, which uh, I guess we can get right into that. Uh, yes, you know, time these is crop fugitive. Circles, yeah, all these crop circles led to the understanding of the importance of 432. I do want to say, show you one thing, though, because this is very important regarding 19.5. Go down to number 10. One night, they were like, Michael, you got to get up and divide a circle by seven. And I was like, how about no? You know, I'm trying to go to sleep. And again, I was like, well, you've learned nothing. So I had to tell my wife, baby, i got to get up and do some math. 
Is she she aware of your uh, alternate life? Yeah, because she's Native American Indian as well. And, you know, if I'm Inky here in this meat suit, she's... She doesn't like me to out her, but she's uh, she's not from here either, and it's not is she, coincidence. Is she Ninhursan? No, she's white buffalo calf woman. She's gonna kill me for saying that. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, she she is. But uh, so I get up and I I'm like, okay, I'm gonna divide a circle by seven. So three sixty, you know, divided by seven, ends up to be fifty one point four two eight. And first of all, I'm like, well, so what? What does that have to do with anything? And they show me my third eye, a circle, and then they took like an astral highlighter. You go around one-seventh way around the circle, and then they let the rest of the circle fall away. And then they brought up that right away. They said that's the true Ark of the Covenant. It was never an ARK. It was an ARC. And um, then they mirrored it and brought up the bottom of it, where they met, and it became like an Wait, arc. ARC, like in it was an arc of geometric proportion yes. as opposed to a boat? Yes. Okay. Exactly. And think of the Ark of the Covenant leading mankind to a new form of energy. Yeah, of course. And, you know, we know. Well, remember, we'll get into it's, that. remember, it's ultimately, it's the geometry, stupid. <laughs> yes. So uh, when they showed me that eye shape, uh, made out of the 51.428 arcs, mm-hmm. I asked, uh, boy, I'd like to see that as a seven-pointed star because they had already guided me into the importance of the seven-pointed star. Do you know this crop circle showed up the very next day in the UK? Um, and it is a seven-pointed star made out of those 51.428 Do we have an actual arcs. photograph of the real crop circle as opposed to the diagram? Oh, yeah. Actually, there's unbelievable footage. If if you send that to Kinthea, she'll put it in as a 10A. Right on. Actually, I got drone footage of that crop circle, 4K, and it's mind-blowingly beautiful. So we can make that 10B, you know, still, because you want to look at the still, the geometry, and then the the 3D video will be nice, because that'll, you know, drones are great now, and drones are super. But I'll tell you what. And you say this, this, you this disappeared when? The very next day after I asked them to see a seven-pointed star. Oh, after the voice, you know, okay. Yeah, the next day this showed up in the UK. And um, this became very important because, first of all, they're only showing you half of that arc. The The black triangle is covering up the end of the arc. So it's almost like a test to see, like, they're like, are you picking up what we're putting down? And it all of a sudden I realized that's a brand new seed of life made out of Vesca Pisces, just like, you know, the, the Merkaba creation of it. So if you go to, so these are the thin curved lines. Yes. So this image that's right below it was very hard for me to create the feng shui that is involved in the creation of showing this. It's maddening, but this is a perfect, it's a seven-petaled seed of life instead mm-hmm. of six. But now 51.428, I'm like, well, okay, why is that important? And first of all, you know, I'm friends with Graham Hancock, and he's telling me his side angle that is agreed upon for the Giza Pyramid is 51.86. 
And But now we know the pyramid is eight-sided and not four. So instantly I'm like, well, it's got to have another hidden angle then that only reveals itself twice a, a year, by the way. I think it's the solstices. No, so, no, no, uh, no. It's the equinoxes when the light it's shines the equinoxes. directly east and west and causing the shadows. Yeah. Okay, perfect. <laughs> so at this point, um, you know, I'm thinking of Graham Hancock's 51.86 and um, this voice is like, Michael, subtract your 51.428 from that. So I do, and you know the answer. Wait, 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 wait. You mean the voice was very specific, finally? Very, very specific. Good <laughs> Divide to sub- subtract your 51.428 from 51.86. And uh, it's 432. So right then and there, <laughs> I thought, whoa. whoa. The, the actual construction of the pyramid is encoding 432 at many different levels because there's all kinds of other coatings of 432 in the pyramid yeah graham hancock told me if you take that you know how many seconds is in 12 hours there's Mm -hmm. 43,200 of 432 Mm -hmm. if you take that number and you multiply it by the height and the width of the pyramid you get the actual dimensions of planet earth Mm -hmm. (laughs) mind-blowing but i'm going to share something with you because no one as far as I know, this is brand new. People have been asking, why is crop circles showing up? You know, they call St. Michael's Ley Line, by the way, um, through the UK. And it goes through Avebury, you know, Stonehenge. And uh, that's where all these crop circles are showing oh, up. Oh, cool. Uh, Keith just popped up uh, this crop circle in the Skype window. So, Kinthea, you just need to take it from there and port it over as 10A. Uh, Actually, that's not it. Um, that's not it? No, that's the Inky one. It has the decoding oh. of uh, the ASCII binary. Oh, well, then this would be 9A. Um, yeah, you can type in Devil's Den. I think it was 27. Yeah, you should always go to the actuality because I like the real thing as opposed to just the diagram so people can see. Right on. This is the source, original sources. That's part of the way you play the game. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this, I, is, I dig so, it. so this would be 9A. So now we need... 10a yes um so uh what i found out is look at the actual i think it would be longitude line of saint michael's ley line that goes it's a very energetic it's actually called saint michael and mary's ley line that goes through the uk um what are some of the major things that connect I forget. Avebury, uh, Stonehenge, oh, all, the mountains, okay. yeah. all the ancient sites. Um, there's, they all dot that. But here's the deal. It's literally 51.428 latitude line on this planet. That's mind-blowing. It's a seven-pointed star. Uh, 51.428 is forever tied to a seven-pointed star, being one-seventh away around it. And um, it, it's one of the most energetic ley lines on this planet. And it's where all the seven-pointed star crop circles are showing up along a ley line or actual, I think it's longitude. Sometimes I get these mixed up. But whatever, it's either longitude, just type in Avebury. Well, if, 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 if the St. Michael's line connects Avebury and Stonehenge, Stonehenge is south of Avebury, so it's got to be north-south. It's got to be longitude. That, I think you're right. Um, I know I'm and it's, it, right on. It's Remember, I was there with Robin measuring this stuff with the Accutron. There are oh, physical awesome. changes so of frequency. Um, and I need to look more at how one would detect in our data 432. What they're telling me, Richard, is 
You know how 19.5 is the biggest upwelling of energy on this planet, yep. and it's a six-petaled, you know, double tetrahedron mm-hmm. uh, that's formed that makes that seed of life. But again, go up to... Well, actually, uh, it's on all planets, and it's also on stars. 51.428, though, is where they're embedding new coding into the system. Instead of the largest upwelling of energy, it's new energy being added. And it's along the 51.428. It's actual physics of 432-based physics on a planet. And it's, it is St. Michael's ley line that runs through here. But wait, so wait, wait. First, this is measured now relative to Greenwich, right? Oh, uh, you know, you would be able to answer that. Well, the, the, the international standard of longitude is measured from Greenwich. So 51 degrees measured from Greenwich. Now, if you have latitude, that's universal, but the decision in longitude is arbitrary. Who picked that? Um, you know, I think it's all encoded by the Anunnaki or, you know, the, the Syrians. Same. Okay. Um, uh, you know, nothing's arbitrary, even the mile, you know, miles across, yep, yep. seconds, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's all related. Yes. 60 and 12, you know, uh, as how we're going to divide objects from macro to micro. Okay. I think um, we've got, I think we've got number 10 now as the crop circle. Look in, look in your Skype window. Mm, that's, uh, that's still the Inky crop circle. I actually created that to show the um do you want me to see if i can find it no 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 you've got to talk you know keith can all right um yeah if you type in devil's den crop circle and you'll come to this by the way it's very interesting you know if you look in the gnostic the seal of the seven archangels which is archangel michael um (laughs) that's it you're looking at it that is the seal of the seven archangels and it's really weird when you find out like the babylonian world map it's a seven-pointed star um but i think so getting back to these two different blueprints of dimensional levels of a seven-petal version i i think it's 5d to 3d which is created from the six-petal version and the biggest upwelling of energy is at 19.5 at the next level up it's like they're encoding information into the system along 51.428 it's it's just what it is like from what i understand is no one's really understood why are most of these crop circles showing up in the uk and it's because it's along the earth's energetic entry port you know and um so what they told me was what needs to happen in the future is once we go to one one side or the other to St. Michael's ley line and Mary and go to all these ancient sites, the Templars, you know, the, the mounds and pay attention to what's being communicated. There's a story waiting for mankind mm-hmm. that will unfold with, um, but uh, by the way, let, let me interrupt again. I, I think I made a really terrible mistake. I misspoke. It can't be longitude because Greenwich is zero and it's right next door. So it's got to be latitude. Mm. It's got to be latitude. Yeah, like I said, all you got to do, um, Google. A yeah, but not during, that, during a live show. I can't do that. Yeah, so, not you, you but know. someone listening could put that into the chat. Yeah, it has got, oh. to, be, it's got to be latitude. Okay, moving on. 
Time is fugiting, and we got about a minute in this half hour remaining. How did you get from taking your friend Greg uh, contactee information on making discs to making Mm -hmm. discs of this special set of frequencies? Well, what happened was I tried to get permission to use this A node, and I couldn't get it. The guy just wouldn't answer my emails. So that's when I said, well, hell with it. I'm going to hire these scientists myself and send them my guitar. You recorded meticulously making sure it was tuned to 432. And um, right when I got the results back, you know, I got an image. Oh, I sent you the HD ones. They're over 4K. Um, The minute I made that, instead of using uh, computer-generated sacred geometry, when I held it in my hand, I could feel it. You know, it was just things alive, you know? Hmm. So um, at that point, I – that was the creation of what you call the magical hyperdimensional disc. Now I can tell you that a guy that owned a, a water, a pure water business making uh, maple water, which is made out of the process when they make maple syrup out of a tree, they tap the bottom of it and the water is very pure. He had told me in the past, Michael, you're, do you know this disc that I gifted him one of my discs? He said, this thing is restructuring water in a way that I've never even seen before. Um, and he he brought us over and four of us and he poured a little bit of his water in four glasses and he said now pay attention more to the texture of the water more so than the taste and we all did and then he took each one of our water and put it on the disc and he held it there for about seven eight seconds he said now try it every single one of us was like oh my god it's like it changed the actual texture of the water to more like milk it was wow. like way thicker and which can be measured up. as surface tension. Okay, hold it there. We are at the bottom of the hour. One half hour to go. My guest this morning is Michael Lee Hill. Are you wowed yet? Have you got that there is this level of communication of connectedness which can be calibrated by the numbers? You cannot fake the numbers. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month. 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 $9.95
33 cents a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com. And from the land of enchantment on this Sunday morning here in New Mexico, northern New Mexico, my guest this morning is Michael Lee Hill, and we're talking hyperdimensional physics and an incredibly interesting, touchable, tasteable, holdable, you can put it in your pocket and carry it around, you can wear it in your, in your purse, in your fanny pack, hyperdimensional technological disc which incorporates this extraordinary key frequency of 432 cycles per second. Michael? Yes. Please continue. You know what? Let's uh, let's go up to picture number one because I, I'd like to show people this is the disc. This is the, the cymatic image that came from the scientists, and I, I encoded it, encased it in the quartz crystal, and then it's got a copper Oh, this, this is the one sitting on the pebbles. That's the one I chose for the yes. banner. Yes. It just spoke this to me. This is exactly what I, I sent uh, Beverly, by the way, it's this version, because what this truly is, is red on the outside, the purple on the inside, and it's the colors of the human chakras um, from the outside to the inside. And um, I did that on purpose because Spirit told me to. But if you go down to third picture is reversed it's purple on the outside to red on the inside and that's because the native american indians believe that once you go through ascension your chakras flip it's no longer red in the root it's purple in the root hmm. so that's why there's two versions um one purple to red and the other uh red to purple and i tell people whatever one calls to you i look at it as a push pull through the gate you know what i mean that uh some people will will draw to the um you know the purple the after ascension um some people will be drawn to the the pre you know normal human chakra arrangement instead of reversed but then if you go to number four i thought this was done in water instead of you can see these other images is actually the 432 cymatic image over a black background and i'm like i want it to look like water so my team at this time i was working with uh Actually, they ended up ripping me off, so they're not my team anymore, but they did do some good work. And I had them remove meticulously that 432 pattern, but leave it clear so it looked like water. And I called it the water bearer disc, and it has a totally different vibe and feel. It's more feminine when you see it like that. So that's what number four is. Number five is actually the 432 image with the inky crop circle encoded. That's the one I sent you, Richard. Um, that, uh, so those are those. Th- yeah, I currently have it sitting under a closed bulb of water with crystals in it that Robin got me many years ago as a Christmas present to measure weather changes. And Perfect. I've got it sitting under this bulb where the crystals change when the physics changes. And it's inside a tall, skinny, Russian pyramid, and I'm monitoring changes uh, day by day by day, and there are some interesting changes. 
I have decided not to feed the mice any of the water. (laughs) I do not know what will happen, and I'm here all by myself, and frankly, I'm a little bit scared of what could happen. Right on. I I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Um, But so this gets into you saying, you know what, we know your story sounds crazy to most other people, but, you know, NASA's been looking into this and how energy flows multidimensionally, and your numbers are right on the money. So you said that we'd like the range for uh, NASA scientists to look into your work. I was like, oh, my God, you know. But I got to tell you, there's a month and a half of I sent her the disc, and, you know, that voice always comes up in my head. Oh, don't count your chickens before you're, they hatch. You you're, know? Talking, you're talking about Dr. Beverly Rubick, who is in yes. Berkeley, who I've known for decades. She's a biophysicist. She sells several important chairs. I think she was head of the Parapsychological Association or something. I'm probably getting that wrong. Anyway, she formally measured water that your disc uh, treated. And so talk Mm -hmm. about what happened. Well, I'll just start. First of all, scroll down and you'll see it says uh, uh, the 432 hertz energy disc, magical ability to restructure water, confirmed by a leading biophysicist, Beverly Rubick. Under this number 15, actual, number 15 in uh, your, in your number section. 15. Yeah. Yes. So I'm going to read the conclusions. This is from her water study. And she said, well, we'll get into that. The intensity of the light pattern was um, the intensity of the light pattern was the parameter most influenced by the disc treatment of all three waters. They tested uh, California municipal water spring water from Canada, and Nevian bottled water. Intensity of the light increased significantly for two of the three waters and showed a trend of increasing for the third water, which was the Nevian uh, bottled water. Uh, The area of the light pattern tended to decrease upon disc treatment, which was significantly reduced for the two bottled waters, which was the Canadian spring water and Nevian. The observed decrease of the area of the light pattern along with an increase in light intensity suggests that the light pattern becomes narrower and more focused upon disc treatment. This has never been before observed in water studies. That's the key, first of all. Um, On other imprinted products designed to structure water, such products typically increase both area and intensity of the light pattern. Um, I found that your disc created smaller patterns of light to be emitted from the treated water compared to controls. However, those smaller patterns of light were more intense than light patterns from controls that uh, were more diffuse. I really don't know what this means. Please understand that healers treating water or ionization processes or other energy treatments that I have tested have always produced larger patterns of light than controls and it's more diffuse. It Mm -hmm. says it appears that your treatment process focuses the light pattern or beam emitted from water by high voltage electrophotography. And uh, so she said, what, she told me it's almost like 
when you take a magnifying glass and you want to burn a leaf, right? Mm-hmm. And you get the periphery of the light, and as you move the, the magnifying glass up, it gets smaller and smaller, but it's getting brighter and brighter until it combusts. It has so much energy. She said for the first time ever, this 432 disc was doing this to water, and they've never seen it. As a matter of fact, um, I have over seven, 70 pictures of this GDB stuff. By the way, this is the actual GDV. Actually, you know where it says 432 water? I mean, look at that. That's mind-blowing. These bottom two are from another And you keep bio- using an acronym, GBD. What is that? I'll get- it's, uh, it's Actually, it's a form of this high-voltage electricity electrophotography, people might be um, knowledgeable about Kirillian photography. Kirillian, yeah. Yeah, where it's like photographing photonic light energy. Well, GDV, they have a a very specific process where it's designed to look at the photonic light levels of water. And uh, so that's what you're seeing. You see a water droplet before, then you got distilled water. One of these biophysicists, because I've been, other biophysicists have now contacted me, mm. and uh, they said, "Nothing uh, like success." Yeah, right. Um, it uh, the the Canadian public municipal tap water it was in the worst shape off the get go, because um, we're killing it by chlorine and fluoride and making it take right and left-hand turns. That's from, not how from, works. from what city so we can avoid it? <laughs> All, if it's municipal tap water. Right. Think of Dr. Ramoto showing it's, it's, it's listening to human thought form. Oh, dear. And it's, it's dead, Jim. It's dead. It's dead. But think of this. You can take that dead municipal tap water, put it on one of these 432 discs, and it returns its vitality. It turns it into living water. It turns it into holy water. Super. Okay. Yeah, and then think of like we were talking about. Our we're seventy to ninety percent water on your, depending on your age, and most of our body's chi and prana comes in through water for our energy source. If we're drinking what like that distilled water down there, mm. no matter how much water you drink, you're not ever going to get hard hydrated. So when I'm finished with my, you know, weather bulb from Robin experiment, you would suggest that I take the disc and I take a glass bottle, I presume, and I put water in it from the tap, which is from the uh, Native Americans here. They own the the water company. Mm-hmm. And I let it sit there for like what a few hours, and then well, I. Well, Beverly actually told me, you know, they tested it at 15 minutes, and they took six photographs, and then they left it for a half hour. Right. And here's the deal: right off the bat, it brings back energy. It only takes about seven seconds. But what was unheard of is the longer they let that water sit, the more focused the light became and she said michael i don't even think it's done doing its thing at 50 minutes so the next question is if you take that water and you give it to someone or something what happens well i can tell you uh i don't like to talk about health stuff because you know it's just weird to me i was telling people hey what is that oh it's a nice paperweight you know it's an energy device, but, you know, it stands on its own as a piece of art. But what I've been finding out is because people now are making their own 432 water, I've got contacted by so many people saying, you know what, I got psoriasis or uh, eczema. And that nothing the doctors have ever prescribed uh, has cured it. But now because I started drinking 432 water, 
my eczema has disappeared. Mm-hmm. So like the cells are being um, nourished. They're put back in resonance. Yes. So this technology, you know, yeah, it seems like it's, and like you had brought up, well, what happens when you use this water in agriculture? And uh, I can tell you, I've studied just the effects of regular structured water, not this. This is like super water, you know, Mm -hmm. but even with regular structured water, the yield is much larger. It's impervious to drought and um, the actual nutritional value of the vegetable or fruit uh, is more than double. They can see how many nutrients is in. Now, wait, who is who's doing this? Scientists. Um, I don't know. A particular name I just you know a fantastic documentary that everyone can watch that's on um, Amazon Prime is called the secret of water and it's mind-blowing it has so much information it's super well done um, but does it know, have the 432 information in it no oh we're bringing it to the world Richard <laughs> Okay, so if we expose, I'm thinking of I want to water my plants. Do I use a glass thingy, or can I just take the uh, the uh, watering can, which is plastic, and set it on the disc for like 15 minutes, and then water First the plants? Of all, I wouldn't use plastic. I would use glass and try to use glass that has no printing on it because that's programming. You want no writing on the glass, and uh, then just use your disc as a coaster. Um, it's that simple. And, but what she said is that 50 minutes, she didn't think it was done doing its thing. She said, what she would recommend is to put a glass of water on it at night and let it sit overnight and just have it as your ritual in the morning to drink that glass of water that sat all night. How about a ceramic cup? That would be good. It's nature. You know, um, I would, I would go along with that. But, um, what I learned too is, the are, oh, I, next question. We're running out of time. Mm-hmm. Are you, Michael, drinking the water? Oh, yeah. I've been drinking it. And what uh, changes have you noticed? My energy is through the roof. My intuition is – it just seems like it's making my body come into resonance. It's firing on off uh, mm-hmm. cylinders. And I can tell you my skin. I can tell a huge difference in my skin of uh, – you know, there's very few wrinkles on my What face happens when you I, heat it? Because I'm thinking of making – I love coffee, good coffee. We have great coffee here. Yeah. Um, if you make coffee with this water, the, the heat does not destroy the structure, right? No, no, not at all. You can use it for tea, coffee. Okay. Um, actually, it seems like anything that has water in it, it's going to restructure the water within that product. Mm. It could be beer. Matter of fact, I, you know, beer was a little weird, you know, because obviously I tried it, and it made it a little too thick—a beer milkshake. Not really? Too, so it changed yeah. the it changed the consistency. Yes, yes. But well, it, that's an obvious physical effect. Yeah, that's not well, trivial. At, let me say, I did ask Beverly. I said, "Well, listen, if there was not as much energy, but now it's teeming with energy. Where's that extra energy coming from? I asked her, is it from our sun, our planets, the planet's electromagnetic field? No, and she said, no, no, no it's coming no. from another dimension. Yes, yes. Beverly's right huge. on cue. Okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, that toasted my noodle too. But what I want to tell you with all the things we talked about, you know, I told you we would get into Elon Musk. Yes, new, I wanted to get to Musk. There is a Musk connection the, to Michael. 
connected to you now because you know who's doing the technology um, for Elon for this uh, uh, Humanities Hall of Fame crystal time capsule that's taken to the moon. I know nothing is, about uh, any of this, so tell me about it. Well, it's Nova. Uh, Nova. Oh, oh, no, oh, our friend Nova. Nova. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's yeah, the guy. Cause... He's the guy that went to Musk, uh, and he convinced him to put quartz discs, inscribed quartz discs, in the glove compartment of the Tesla that Musk mm-hmm. sent up on his test flight of the first Falcon Heavy a couple of years ago, and on the discs are encoded my friend Isaac Asimov's Foundation trilogy. Yes. So he's now working with Musk on another deeper time capsule, and he's incorporating your disc into the time capsule going to the moon in one of yes. Musk's starships? He doesn't know that yet. You can let him know. But what happened was I was given the information from an insider that, hey, you should look into this time capsule being made by Elon Musk because, it, it, you know, if – what we found is when you take that cymatic image, by the way, some of these biophysicists were really perplexed. You know, there's no battery in that disc. There's no <laughs> wires going to it. You know, how the... It's somehow, a hyperdimensional amplifier, guys, like 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 Stonehenge or yes. Avery or, or Silbury Hill, which is a better analog. So now look at this idea that this exact same cymatic image that somehow... I believe it's quantum entanglement because I can tell you I was I was guided by the Native American First Nation, the Chief Colin White Eagle, to do a water blessing ceremony before all this happened to uh, bring forth the attributes of these fresh spring aquifers through Florida, you know, fountain of youth water. Right. And I did. Um, oh, oh, so that, I gotta stop you. Gotta ask this question: When you expose a certain amount of water to the frequency, if you mix or touch that water to ordinary water, does the effect migrate? Yes, great point. Um, so yeah, you could take like, like, a, like a Kavita bottle of water, dump it into an Olympic swimming pool, and the whole pool will suddenly become 432 water. Yes. Wow. But think of Elon Musk and uh, Nova now incorporating this exact same image that we know if you encase it in crystal it's not passive, it's active, and it's sending out a frequency that will restructure water. Now they're taking it to the moon, and it's going to be there for the next 10 million years. At least. It's mind-blowing, you know. And then, you know. Where, the can, where, can, where can we find out more about the Musk water connection? Uh, is that is that on on in your in your items? Let me scroll well, down. Well, yeah, actually, I I put scrolling, um, scrolling. I put the actual. Let me see if I can find it. Number thirteen. That's okay. the actual um, time capsule. They call it a lunogram. That's being encoded into the crystal by Nova's uh, technology. Okay. And so you're actually seeing the exact thing that's going to be encoded into that crystal. But I've I've submitted two versions, and they've both been accepted. One has this whole paragraph on why I think 432 is important and how it's been encoded into Earth's uh, ancient structures, religions, you know, everything. But I also, this exact same image and no text. It's just, so those are the two versions that are in the Humanities Hall of Fame you know, time capsule. And what's really cool with this too is I just got, uh, they sent me, 
an 8x10 printed version of this lunogram, and they sent me a certificate of participation that has my name, and it's really cool. It says, like, committed to being a protector of Earth's story. And um, and you say that Nova, our friend Nova, our colleague, is behind us. Yeah. Then what the did one, you mean uh, by what did you mean by me telling him? Ah, uh, I say he doesn't know. How did how did he not know if he's in charge of the project? Well, I don't think he's seen. There's over thirteen hundred, I believe. Oh, so he doesn't count. know your specific disc is part of the library. Right. Ah, okay. I'm glad I asked. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's seen the picture and went, hey, that's cool. Because like you said, there's no coincidence. There's no way. When I found out that you've already interviewed him, because it's that technology that is in his Tesla that is orbiting the planet right now in the glove box, it's 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 not just the planet. It's the whole damn solar system. The orbit of that little Tesla is taking it from Earth all the way out to Mars orbit and beyond in a big looping. It's not going to impact either planet for millions of years, but it's out there with Isaac Asimov's Foundation Trilogy in the glove box on quartz crystal disc, which, by the, by the way, are very torsion-active crystals. Mm. Well, imagine, you know, it hits me. What is the effect of encoding? I sent them as a 4K image of this cymatic image that we know it's communicating something that is restructuring water. At the, you know, I'd like to talk to you about, I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. Like if this is increasing photonic light energy, what happens if you incorporate this technology with solar panels? I don't know the answer. Um, and but, you don't uh, need that. You know, you can get the energy directly from microspace. In fact, mm-hmm. I know a technology that can do that. Put a red box-sized device in everybody's basement, no more grid. And Love no it. more power outage, no more windy days, no more hurricane problems, no more, no more any problems. So, But if a NASA scientist can see this increase of photonic light energy from another dimension, that this technology of, you know, taking cosmic harmonious frequencies and casing it into crystal, I'm, I would have to think that they're going to notice this crystal that just landed on the moon is broadcasting. Now, when you say landed, I mean, he's not going to land his first mission in January. He's barely going to be able to do an Earth orbit test. His his plan to go to the moon is several years down the road. No, absolutely not. The, the SpaceX launch is in January of this year, and I have, because of this, I have special access to watch the missile launch. And it is going on a space. So wait, wait. He is launching his first orbital starship to the moon. Uh, a SpaceX missile. You know, um, Elon Musk has this time capsule aboard this miss the, the SpaceX launch that is happening in January of 2022. Well, wait. Maybe and, maybe we're talking two separate rockets because, from what I know, the development program of the Starship, their first test will be in Earth orbit. So this could be another mission using a Falcon 9 to send a payload to the moon carrying yes. this archive. Yes. See, see, and not only that, Richard, specificity I'm, getting, is important. I'm getting a copy of that time crystal that, um, from them. And they said, actually, this technology, all you need is a really good microscope mm-hmm. to look into it. And, yep. You yep. Know, 
And uh, so well, getting... well it, it, it has layers of decoding. So you start with a microscope, but then it gets more sophisticated as you teach the guy or gal or being that finds this how to get into the archive, how to get into the library and decode it. Mind blowing. It's in stages, you know, like from kindergarten to advanced, you know, calculus, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, we got um, four minutes and change what have we not talked about that we should probably tease for the next show um you know what i would really like to get into you know when i was brought into the reverse engineering division of uh these are the people that funneled philip corso the technology um i have all my learning material um ebooks everything uh you know even the missions that we, they formed a seven-member team of all of us. They told me specifically have our bloodline, and it was to be able to contact the incoming Anunnaki and uh, pretty much suss up to the table and ask them for help with things that wait, were Wait, wait, wait. What institution is doing this? The NSA, but it's called the Alien Contact Interface the Organization. N- the NSA. You mean our yeah. good old NSA? It's way above the burn before uh, reading agency. It's way before, way above the the level we know of. These are the people that are dealing, working with um, extraterrestrial races and technology transfer programs. What he told me, this is this guy became a, a father figure to me because he gave me the course of study that I needed to understand what was going on in my life. But um, I have all the learning material. I have everything we did. I have the tasking instructions for when we took out the energy of uh, Hurricane Sandy. And simultaneously in 2012, there was earthquake, earthquake Charlotte that created a tsunami that was heading towards Hawaii. That was all over the TV. Our team, they said, you know, I'm just give you a taster. They said, we know you're not a weatherman, but we're going to give you all the scientific data from our satellites and the most accurate, and they're going to be looking through your eyes. We already know you have a handshake, they called it, mm-hmm. with my higher self, Anunnaki, being inky, I guess, um, that you don't need to know what to do with this, these weather reports we're going to give you. All we need you to do is lay your eyes on So you're, you're a transducer? Yes. Like a, like, yes. like a pass-through? But with this information, because the transducer, A.R. Borden, the head of this project, was what he called the waveguide. And it's like in a microphone, it gets a very little tiny signal, but the transducer, I believe, is what it is called, amplifies it to the point you can put it out the cable to a studio or your computer or whatever. In the same way, he said that he would take all, all of our mental energy, and we had very specific things of visualization contact the incoming and uh, that um, they would know what to do with this information. And as you know, all the, all the energy was removed out of hurricane uh, Charlotte. And um, I remember there was one back then that just suddenly like just died. It was like, what, what happened? (laughs) Now we know what happened. Hey, we're out of time. We're out of time. It's amazing how three hours can go. Oh, I'm going to have to invite you back for obviously another another session. I can't wait. My guest this morning has been Michael Lee Hill, 
We've been talking about the foundation of creating a physical technology, a hyperdimensional technology from frequencies in three dimensions that have real effects. No, I'm not going to give the water to the mice. No, no, no. Tomorrow night, we're going to look at what's coming with Rick Levine, Georgia Lambert, and God knows who else will show up. So until then, remember, third star on the left, straight on till morning. Good night, everyone, and drink the water. Thank you.